Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's that time of the week again. The Rugby League rant fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard and get ready for an hour of nothing but NRL talk. quarter of the season gone already box had absolute madness and I thought it was a pretty bloody good round again yeah another good round Easter weekend now we're heading to Anzac Day yeah quarter of the season's blown by really so and as usual it's thrown up plenty of uh, plenty of surprises and it hasn't all gone to plan for some teams so there's already plenty of drama so well, let's rip into it plenty of drama plenty of injuries plenty of upsets and like you said surprises teams doing well teams not doing so well coaching pressure off field pressure boards player movement all sorts of bits and pieces happening but we'll get into it as we do always with our set of six to start off with our thoughts questions statements anything that we've thought about or come up with from the weekend Tackle one, uh, the Friday WrestleMania, and just, I guess, a bit of refereeing consistency. I think so far this year, the referees have been pretty bloody good. Oh, honest, I think for the first four rounds, they were. I think in particular in that game, the interpretation by Perinara, and I cannot remember who the other referee was. It doesn't matter. I think the whole round, there was WrestleMania. I, the ruck speed and the amount of time that players are allowed to lay in on the ruck... Uh, the slowing tactics, the regripping, the hand on the ball, the flopping that's that's come back into the game. I think it's we've gone too far the other way. I you know I get last year we went too far down the path of let's blow everything and let's pin everything. Now we've gone too far the other way where we're trying to let too much flow and it's having a negative effect. It's having the opposite effect because teams and coaches are taking the piss and they're instructing their players to lay in. The amount, the amount of crap that the Bulldogs got away with on Friday night, on Friday afternoon in that Good Friday game ruined that game. It was terrible to watch. There was no flow. South couldn't get any rhythm. Uh, I think South had something like 64% of possession and only won by eight just because any time they got down onto their, the Bulldogs' trial line, they just couldn't crack them because the dogs just laid in ridiculously. And I think the referees feel like they're doing teams a favour by allowing the game to flow and not penalising it, where you know, I got to the point there where Sam Burgess almost got in a punch on because he was just fed up with players laying in on the ruck and the niggle tactics that were employed. So uh, I'm all for the referees. This is the first time I think we've really spoken about the referees in a negative light, but I'm not going to not go at them when I think they need to be called to account. And at the moment, I think they've gone too far. Um, and I think they need to start pulling some teams back into line. So we get that quality uh, quality of game that we saw over the first four rounds. Well, I don't agree with you totally about the whole round. I thought that game in particular was the highlight of one. The play the ball speed in particular when the Bulldogs were laying on the ruck was closer to five seconds, which is absolutely incredible. Go back to the Storm game, it was more around average of three and a half. I thought that game and most of the other games on the weekend yeah, but, flowed. But, but, okay, so as a whole, but still within every game, there oh, are elements of the shit that have been penalised for years and now they're letting go. Yeah. So... 
It's happening in every game. But my main gripe is what you just said, though. Okay, you, so you're you, saying it ruined that game, you, which is if, fair. If you want to be picky in every single area of the field, 50 here, there, and everywhere, my main gripe in the Dogs game was clearly it was David versus Goliath. Anytime you're inside 20 and you do what they did, someone needs to go to the bin. Forget just the penalties. They didn't deter the Bulldogs. That was my issue. Those referees, in, under their interpretation or their instruction, decided that they didn't want to supposedly ruined the game, but they did ruin the game by not punishing the Bulldogs for just absolutely taking the piss inside 20 when a team was getting quick play of the balls or generating ruck speed and denying them opportunities to score. And on the flip side of that, penalty, 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 there's a quick way to solve that. Put someone in the bin. Done. Black goes to the bin, 12 players. If they keep laying on, send someone else. Well, how many people have been sitting in this year? It'll be less well, than next a handful. But that yeah. situation was one of the first times I've looked at an inside 20 and thought this needs to happen. And we saw the opposite. I think in the Roosters game, there was a warning straight away after three quick back-to-back penalties and they stopped it Melbourne scored. So, refereeing interpretation, I thought they did a very poor job. And if they thought they did the game a favour, they didn't. They still blew 20 penalties. They That's didn't, my point. They still blew 20 penalties, but they didn't penalise or adjudicate where it mattered, which was inside 20. They just kept denying them the opportunity, which in turn ruined the game. And good on the Bulldogs, because, uh, again, I think all the fans out there, and they would admit their team isn't the flasher side this year and they're gritty and they did a hell of a job and they held on tooth and nail but they single-handedly destroyed that game so yeah no I didn't second part of that uh, caused a bit of disagreement refereeing again was the escort opportunity at the end of the Manly game uh, Daly Cherry Evans obviously not happy Des Haslam not happy I'm pretty sure you said Graham Annesley came out Graham Annesley came out and said they got it wrong and he's 100% right because the interpretation that's been in place for however many fucking years got thrown out the window in that one instance in that Lafay is allowed to not look at the ball at all, run across in front of a player that's trying to contest the ball and block him. It was the it was an absolute dog shit call. Such a terrible call. And Cherry Evans is 100% right. He said, look, you're willing to make a call up the other end when the game's not on the line, but down here when the game's not on the line, you don't want to make a call. And that's exactly what it is. And I heard Gus Gould last night on... Uh, 100% footy say that if you're not going to call it at 12 all in a grand final then it shouldn't be a rule and he's 100% right they just they got this one totally wrong and the escort rule is one that's got to be looked at the interpretation's got to be cleared up it's got to be black and white because at the moment you don't you don't see any contest for the ball because teams are just coached to run back and get in the way of players that uh, are trying to contest the footy I think it's it's gone on for years now um, and it's something that really, really needs to be fixed because it's just, it's messy. You, you know, you see one get let go, you see one get penalised. There's no real, you know, rule or interpretation, clear rule or interpretation around it. So I think it's something that's got to be cleared up as, as soon as possible. Well, it's well past the point of being helped because it happens bloody a thousand times a game and we only penalise one. That's my only gripe with it. But on the flip of that, Bill Harrigan and a couple of others read the rule and the way I interpret it again reading it. They're reading well. last year's interpretation. They the interpretation that was released by Graham Annesley yesterday was the current rule and the way it's supposed to be interpreted and it, it, it basically outlined exactly what Tim Lafroy did. Well I don't know if they've done a good job communicating it to their own referees, but the way they explained it on the weekend is that they were happy with it, that he got to the ball first, he's allowed Who to stand his ground. Bill Harrigan. No, in the game. The referee said we're happy with it. I know Annesley said he wasn't happy. The referee said they happy. The, rule they talked about the referee the said they're happy with it because they didn't want to make a tough call, and it was clearly Lafayette didn't even look at the fucking ball. It was it was just ridiculous. I can't even believe that you're sit, sitting on that side of the argument. That you, like if that was against Melbourne, you'd be blowing up. That I'm was that was such a. I'm going off 
simply. What, so. what interpretation are you talking about? Because you you blow up just as much as I do about him running in front of players and blocking players off the ball. Well, like blow all of them or blow fucking none of them. Well, I agree with that. So I agree with that. But this one was now, was as clear as you'll ever see. We're suddenly now kicking up a stink like it cost them a game. It cost them an opportunity to take it the game. It didn't cost them a game. Point. I just think it was so blatantly obvious. Well, they're all of an escort. Obvious, I don't no, think they all. Half of them, not so. all of them are on camera. Not all of them are right there Why at the are contest. We only now stomping up and down, putting our fingers up in our ears and blowing our water about it. It's bloody been happening for years. No. They should blow not, not 10 in that, plus a game. Not that blatant and not that close to a contest. Oh, I think there's been plenty of blatant ones that haven't been blown. And I agree where Manly fans are coming from and what happened in the game. They probably did deserve a penalty. But again, the way it's been carried on, it cost them the game. It didn't cost you the game. You would have went to Golden Point. No, well, who, said it, who said it cost them the game? Because I certainly it. didn't say that. Well, that's half the reason it's been brought up. No, so I disagree. I just think it was it was blatant. It was clear There's as day. Plenty of blatant ones. They're blatant all the time. Most of, of them, I think most of most them are pinned. But I don't think they that are. one ones that are that obvious get pinned, mate. They'd that, be double digit if they horrendous. were if they were judged the way you're saying they should be judged. There'd be double digit penalties a game. But again, no, they that's don't not do right. It. Well, that's not right. You're going the you're going too far the other way. This one was a blatant blatant escort and was exactly why the rule was brought into place and it wasn't enforced at a moment when it should have been. And I don't care about the result. I don't care if that's the first minute or the 80th minute. I don't care. That That is what it is. That's blatant. Should have been penalised. I'm not disagreeing with you as far as the penalty, but again, they should be blowing a lot more, not just one. And I think this is the first time it's really come under scrutiny because it's come up at a moment near the 80th minute where it cost them an opportunity to go to Golden Point. And I agree well, with I had them. 79 minutes before that to oh, be in the point. game and win the game. Like, let's, it's not an argument about winning the game or costing them the game. It's an argument about just how blatant it was and how wrong the referees got it. It goes back to what I said about the ruck penalties, either blow all of them or blow none of them. No, well, then you're going back to the argument that we had last year because that's what they started to do. They started to blow all of them, and then everyone's blowing up that there's 30 penalties in the game. So you've got to find a happy medium. Like, if it has an impact on the play and it's deliberate... And like that one did, and like the Bulldogs' penalties and their tactics on Friday did, they had an impact on the game, a consistent impact on the game. That's when the referee needs to go in and go, righto, stop. This is where I'm going to blow penalties because it is having an impact on the game. That's what the referees are there to do. They are there to enable the game to be played fairly and enable the game to flow. And the Friday game didn't flow, and that one there was just a blatant... uh, a breaking of the rules that should have been enforced. Simple as that for me. I, I don't understand the confusion around it. No, I don't know. But plenty of people have disagreed over the weekend about it. I'm not again not losing as much sleep as everybody. But I think if you actually went and watched no the one's game, losing sleep over it. Closely, it's just my issue is again we're all carrying on like this is one this one thing. It happens constantly in games. I reckon every second or third kick, if you look, there's deliberately people getting run off the ball. Or purposely getting that goes back off to the, the point that I made. There needs to be a made. clear interpretation around what is legal and what isn't, and then start penalising all of them. Simple. It's still not consistent. It used to be that you were taught to, whenever the kick goes down, and I still teach my players this, that you run back to where you are on the field. So as soon as you hit uh, the offensive uh, side of the ball and you're behind the play the ball, we've straight away got shape. That's from a coaching perspective. That's what I like. Because if everyone then goes to the ball, you lose all your shape. And defensively, the, the opposition can push their defense right in and dominate you on those early tackles. And you know yourself how important it is to be able to generate some ruck speed on those early tackles. So for me, it's just, it's very, very easy. Do I teach players to escort? I would teach, in that case, my centre to run a straight, a direct line back to the ball because that's what they're allowed to do. They are not allowed to run across the line of the ball and to block players off the ball because that's blatant penalty. 
So if you're asking how it's coached, that's how I coach it. I don't know how other coaches well, coach Gallon it. Gallon and a bunch of others have already admitted over the weekend they work on it all off-season and during the season to escort, block players off the ball and stop people due to what you're we You're allowed to know. block a player off the ball if you're, A, going back towards the line of the ball to where the ball's going and you have eyes for the ball. Yeah, well, we all know the players like to break Tim the Tim had neither. And push the rules, so I don't know why we're well, And that's it. It's the referee's um, job to interpret them and to enforce them, and that's, that's the issue I have, that the, it wasn't enforced or interpreted the correct way. Well, moving on from that, something positive from the weekend, Bankwest Stadium, the game there yesterday, uh, obviously the result was an absolute blow, and the game wasn't exactly the best, but the stadium looked exceptional, the atmosphere was exceptional, plenty of buzz about it, um, and obviously that argument again about people arguing for suburban grounds, big stadiums, all the bits and bobs around that, song and dance, but uh, it was a hell of a spectacle, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I went along to the game. Um... And the, the stadium's magnificent. The it's steep. Uh, we, we we sat in the back row behind the posts um, against the bri- against the the concrete. Couldn't have got any further back. But our seat was magnificent, perfect. Um, if you had a similar seat at ANZ Stadium, the seats would be dog shit. You'd go home at half time. Uh, the atmosphere unbelievable. The the prices of the food unbelievable. The surface unbelievable. The sound system unbelievable. The atmosphere. I've been to Suncorp for three or four Origins. Uh, World Cup finals. Um, I've been to a Super Bowl. That atmosphere and the noise in that stadium yesterday rivaled any event I've ever been to in terms of a sporting event. It was clearly helped by the fact that Parramatta just ran up an absolute score. Also, the Um, opening game, which is... Opening game, it wasn't a sellout because if you're in the stadium, there were several seats. I think they put the crowd figure up at 29,000. I think there was probably closer to 28,000 there. Uh, the seats opposite us behind the posts uh, towards the end where the West Tigers were running in the first half. Basically, the back three rows of that whole back section was free. So it might have been a 1,000 seats. I'm not too sure. But for me, the Bulldogs should play there now, the West Tigers should play there, and Parramatta should play there. And it should just be no argument. Those three Western Sydney teams should play there. I... I'm not going to go as far as saying that Penrith should play there. No. Um, but look, I think Canterbury, from from Canterbury to Parramatta, is a throw of is a rock throw over the Great Western Highway. Um, I think for the West Tigers, they've got a lot of fans that are at uh, Leichhardt, Concord. It's not very far to Parramatta. Uh, they play games at, at Leichhardt, obviously, but outside of that, they play games at ANZ and at Campbelltown. This is a shorter trip for those fans in the inner west. Uh, and for Parramatta, it's always going to be Parramatta's ground, I guess, because it is in Parramatta. But as far as I'm concerned, I, I don't know how fans could now make the argument that they want to go to Belmore or they want to go to Leichhardt or they want to go you know, to the old Pertec Stadium or wherever it is. The suburban ground argument now for me is dead. I think Penrith Park at the moment is okay because when Penrith get a full crowd, you know, Penrith might sell a game out once or twice a year. Mm. And at the moment, that ground, I guess, is sufficient to the population in our area. However, I think in 10 years' time, because there's plenty of houses, as you know, there's shitload of population boom out here, plenty of houses going up. I think in 10 years' time, Penrith are going to be in a similar situation where they're either going to need to refurb that stadium and upgrade it into something similar. They will, or they're going to have to look at other options and moving to another stadium. With the centre of excellence, the way the club is, all the surrounding facilities, the apartments and what's going into Penrith, I have no doubt if something was to happen, it'd be simply upgrading on the site they have. Yeah, I'll say one thing, one negative out of yesterday was the public transport. There's no train station near there. 
Uh, they blocked the roads off. We had to walk probably a kilometre to get into an Uber and get sort of out to where my mate's wife picked us up. So that was a bit of a hassle. I'm not sure what what options they could look at. You know, a lot of people were sort of saying, we were speaking to some fans next to us that were saying they got off at Westmead Station and walked through Parramatta yeah. Park and got in that way. Others got off at Parramatta Station. I think it's pretty equal, the, the walking distance. I think it's about a kilometre. Well, it's in the vicinity, so you can't um, say it's so, not... Or do you get on, a, get on a bus? You know what it's like. If you've got 30,000 people trying to get out of a ground, there's no way that you can just get everyone on a bus and everyone's happy. Like, there's no. queues and queues and queues. So that's the one issue now. So I think the state government's got to look at a way to efficiently remove people and exit people and, and enter people into that stadium more more efficiently. I think that's when they're going to really get some bums on seats there. Well, I will put one thing out there. A lot of people, and we've had even that inbox before, I think, from a fan last week, an article blowing up about, you know, the suburban ground being dead and disagreeing. I don't think it's dead, but I think the argument uh, from a fan, whether you enjoy it or not from a club's perspective, is simply cost. That's the main thing. Everyone that's blowing up, I agree with you. I love still going to Penrith Park like we did the other week and standing on the hill. I've been to Leichhardt a couple of times, but yes, it is an absolute pain in the ass to get out of there. Nothing would stop me from going to a suburban ground or a big stadium, but the argument for these bigger stadiums are generally they're better funded, like ANZ Stadium and Bankwest and all these ones. It covers their costs, security, food, all the bits and pieces, and the clubs are covered. So that's the main so we, thing. What are you, for, what are you arguing? What are I'm we, just saying for people that are blowing up, saying, oh, this, this, blow up? this can't happen, or we have to stick to suburban grounds. The big thing for clubs is cost. That's the Die then. A lot of them. Die. Die. Because like, that's what's going to happen. The Tigers, it costs them money generally to host a game at Leichhardt or it costs them money to go to Campbelltown because they've got to pay for security, catering, this, that and the other. And when people oh, don't go to the well, games... It's stupid. That is a dumb up, argument. No, they just I even up, heard Paul saying, Gallen last night. They end up night. out of pocket $100,000, $150,000 yeah, and they just like, don't have the money. Whereas ANZ, whether they get 10000 in, and I hate it when you watch a game and it looks dead there... The costs are fully covered. They walk away with money in their pocket. So if that's what I'm arguing. Clubs are just going to take the money. You heard Paul Gallon last night say, "Oh my god! Like I would love nothing more than to play there." He goes, "Look at our stadium." Like, Mm. and again, like the population in, yeah, that's okay. But But again, if they have a really rocketing crowd, like that, we went there last year for Good Friday, Melbourne and Cronulla, and it was. If we hadn't got there an hour and a half earlier, we wouldn't. We wouldn't have got a great place to watch the game. So. It depends on whether you just want to go and enjoy the atmosphere or whether you're like me and you. If you're going to go, I want a good seat. I want to be able to watch the game. I want to make a day of it, honestly. So for me, I just think this now has shown us the way forward, this stadium. We've got to now get in with the state government, hop into bed with whoever we've got to hop into bed with and get as much funding as we can and get a stadium out here at Penrith or get an upgrade into something similar. There needs to be... Allianz needs to just be the exact same stadium but probably 15,000 more capacity. Well, I think that is basically the plan, and they're still talking about the ANZ refurbishment and going the ANZ's from got the to dome be, yeah. to that Well, ANZ's got to be Suncorp, just go to 60,000. Yeah, tiered and it sits And you know top. what? At the moment, I, I said yesterday, I, what I would do is I would have, I would have once ANZ goes um, into construction, I'd have Origin at Bank West. Like the atmosphere there, where else are you going to go? Well, SCG. Seats per head cost, the amount of revenue they get okay, out Okay, bump the price up. I'd pay two hundred to go and watch an Origin in there. It's going to cost more than two hundred. Bullshit! Origin tickets no now way are in the world. Expensive. No. Just cover the costs. You want the atmosphere? Where, where else are you going to play it? SCG. Where are you going to play Origin? Well, that's what they're thinking about doing. How many? How many is SCG hold? 50? SCG's full fifty, but the atmosphere will be shit. I don't know, but for thirty thousand, like you said, I think the cost would be significantly larger uh, per head or per seat. 
I'm sure some people or would pay it. suck it up for a year. Bump the advertising up for it and just cover the cost that way. They don't make all their money out of the attendance of the no, game. I they make that. the money out of the advertising. But they sell out 80,000 stadium stadium, piss food. I'm telling you, man, that place would be rocking for an origin. I'm sure it would. But like I said, we're deducting 50,000 seats, beers, the other, food, the, You know like, the other thing? They could fit another 5,000 people in there if they went standing room. Because there's, there's big terraces there where you can stand sort of in front of the balconies. I, it would be a nightmare to get beer and food in there if they, you had that many people. But, I mean, yesterday, man, it was there was 30,000 in there and it took it took us five minutes to get a beer at half time. We got a tray of four. Me and my mate lined up, got a tray, bang, in and out. Cost us, I think, 24 bucks for four beers and a tray. Got some food for, for his daughters and away we went, man. It was cost us 40 bucks for, I think, two pies, two chips, a soft drink, four beers and a tray. And you're back at your seat well before the the game kicked off for the second half. So look, I couldn't I couldn't speak highly enough of the place, apart from getting in and getting out from a public transport perspective. Well, again, from the one off though, and this is my big thing yesterday with everyone ranting and raving. Let's see if people keep going to the games. And that's, well, that's the thing. This that's why issue. I'm suggesting strategies in, in order so, to make it better. I think all in all, in the end, it's after wear the thin. one off, and oh, we've got a record attendance, which is a dumb statement to make because it's the first ever fucking game there. I don't know why people kept carrying on about that. It looked outstanding. It seems that way. But let's see if people go keep going. This well, is a big argument right forever. I, I about bet a better you stadium, right now. A better seat, better food costs, all that stuff. If it is everything that it's supposed to be, which everyone has made out to be, keep going to the games. I, I bet you right now that the St. George Parramatta game will break the record. They'll get. They'll stack that joint. I hope so. They will. Because I plan on going to that game. So We're going, big boy. Let's see what happens. Look at how it's me and you. We're not going together or whatever. No. Nah. Brushing me? You can come if you want, mate. I thought we'd already spoken about it, but I messaged not. yesterday about it because I'd obviously spoken to Vaughn to go watch because I haven't seen him play this year. And uh, a couple of blokes from work are Power and Dragons fans, so get on board. That's fine. We'll sort something out. I thought we'd already sorted it. Tackle four. This is the one in five teams right now. And who would be most concerned? We've got Brisbane, Newcastle, and the Dogs. I don't think either of us are surprised about the Dogs. They're both right down the bottom. But out of Newcastle, and Brisbane, obviously there's plenty of stones being thrown. Uh, more stuff's come out today. Heaping pressure on the Broncos and Anthony Seabold. Again, they weren't too far away and everyone's blowing up about the spine, blowing up about the forwards. They got rid of Wayne Bennett. What's happening in the club? This, that and the other. Rah, rah, rah. But I looked at that game the other day. I do agree, again, that there needs to be some spine changes. I'm not panicking like everyone is still about this team because they are very young. Everyone's still freaking out and flipping out like they should have won the comp this year. I know people predicted they should win the comp, but... They had Payne Haas, 19, Tom Flegler, 19. There was no Lodge. There was no Tevita Pangai Jr. Yeah, but hang on a minute. That, no one was saying Staggs. that at the start of the year. I tipped them to win the comp. I, I didn't, I didn't, have, I didn't have... I did. I'm, what I'm saying is I did, and age never came into consideration for me. So I don't think that Anthony Seabold, as big of a fan as I am, can wring that um, argument out. Okay, so they're happy to be predicted as premiership favourites and yada, yada, yada. They now things, they are, though, I understand that, but they, they knew well and truly where they were. He wasn't coming out saying, whoa, whoa, stop, don't you know, put us in any sort of echelon in it's terms of argument. Anyway. They're one town, one team. But hang on a minute. They're going to get hammered. Of course regardless. it is. He should, be, he should be pointing that out. If he wants to make that an argument, he should be pointing that out when they're going good, not just when they're going bad. That's what I have an issue with. I, to me, I'm not worried at all about the Broncos. Like they lost by, what they lose by on Sunday? Four? They've lost two games by a field goal. Those results are going to flip around. It's, it's going to equal out for them. I, am I a little bit concerned at one and five? Yes. Uh, but there's plenty of teams in front of them not going real well either. You saw it yesterday. Like the Tigers, I think, are ninth. And they're paddling. So well, Plain and simple, though. I didn't have them as Premier. So like everyone flipping out right now and being concerned. Yeah, but who do you have? The Roosters. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I said the Roosters are going to win it, but I'm not going to pick the Roosters because it's just well, it's too easy. So they look head and shoulders. Like them and Melbourne look head and shoulders above everyone else, obviously. But They've got great young talent. But again, to work as a pack and the halves, nothing changed there. And I thought the style would better suit the coaching and the players that they've got. But clearly so far, it's been a struggle. McCulloch, I think, struggled as well. And obviously Boyd basically looks like he's not interested in being there. Well, Lockyer, no, it's not. Lockyer came out last night and said he's got a dodgy knee. He's playing at 75%. So Lockyer then came out and said, like, he shouldn't be playing because he's not going to have the impact that they want at fullback. So I think there's there there is some fractions uh, fractures there at the moment at Brisbane because they are losing games and pressure goes on and people start to question what you're doing as a coach and people start to question you if you're playing Darius Boyd at 75% and you're not winning and he's not playing well. So well, the James Seabold's thing. well across coaching. Like As I've said previously and stated previously on this show that he's by far and away one of the most intelligent people I've come across in rugby league. I've got no doubt that he'll turn this around. He's going to be a head coach at Brisbane for a very, very long time. However, I think he could be managing his current situation a little bit better. I think he came out in the media, you know, when the Brisbane greats were sort of chipping into him a little bit. You know, I didn't think he handled that real well. He sort of said, well, I haven't heard anything, and that's rubbish, like as if he hasn't heard anything. Well, one thing I don't think he does handle very well is the media, because I think any time something like that comes there, he tries to make it out as though he doesn't hear it or he hasn't mm. heard it, but he does. It's a bee under his bonnet. But plain and simple for me, like they said when they but got he's him in. he's an ex-Bronco. He played at the Broncos. People are blowing up, going, oh, he, now he's saying he's there for development. Well, what did you expect? Look he's at, a development coach. Well, he's at, there to the age development. Group. Yeah. And to say, that. oh, what, when's he done any development beforehand? Well, he spent 10 years developing and coming through juniors and cup and being an assistant. That is yeah. development. Yeah. Whether you own an assistance role as an attacking coach or you've done it in the 20s or you've done origin, you've done whatever. That's a dumb argument. He's You're always developing come through players. all the junior always. system. But... This setup, like I know people are arguing about Maguire or like Thaday bloody played 10 minutes last year. He's not making a difference this year. Maguire, would he help this group? 100% he would have helped this group. But they're learning a completely new system, new style. It's a complete flip around. And I get the argument on the other side where you're saying the intelligence thing. People are saying, well, football's a simple game. You don't need intelligence. But at the same time, oh, that's you do shit. need more than just energy, intent, this, that and the other. But looking at it, I think a lot of people plain and simple at the end of the day have just overlooked probably something that even we have looked at the start. There is a lot of talent there, but they all are all young. Besides McCulloch and Boyd, for the most part of that side, how many blokes aged over 23 or 24? Yeah, played, they're get almost that. like that fresh start button that we talked about for for Penrith and all of these teams that need 50 first grade games. I, yeah, I understand. There's a lot of guys I that just, barely I just played. don't think that they should be ringing it out as an, out as an excuse. I'm not right ringing now. it as an excuse, but I'm no, just looking at why Br- everyone... Brisbane, that's what Brisbane's go-to line at the moment is. Yeah, oh, they're Other young, people are carrying on. Like these guys have already played internationals and origins. They haven't. They're exceptionally talented, but they haven't played a hell of a lot of first grade. The bigger core of this side. Yeah, get that. They're ultra-talented, and they're going to get better. But again, like you're saying, they also haven't really been blown out in any games. No. So, like, But their results are what they are. They, they are, are under pressure. So... And I don't yeah, think we're, gonna... I don't know why I'm surprised about the spine either. This is another thing that we've looked at. We know that's the one thing for me that I would change to bring a bit of a difference. If Boyd is hurt, get him out for the week. I know he doesn't like O'Sullivan apparently, but I think O'Sullivan would do a better job running the side, or at least steering around the park and taking pressure off the halves. Mm-hmm. Lodge and Tavita Pangai Junior back this week again. I wouldn't pay Pangai the million dollars after, but those two will they make a difference? Hundred percent, they'll make a difference. They had Haas, Flegler out there on the weekend starting, who were both nineteen years old. The guys that Ojibwe played bloody under twenties for Christ's sake, mm. playing first grade, and they played one of the better sides and lost by four points. Dragons now won four in a row. That one point loss doesn't look so bad now. 
after the first two rounds, everyone was making through. out that was a bad loss because they played a team that at the time had lost two in a row. Yeah. Now they've won four in a row. It's twenty five percent of the way through. They lost seventy five percent to go. So let's just yeah. keep your powder dry. Don't panic. Dogs um, again. Not, dogs massive concern. Not surprised. We knew that was going to happen. Not surprised. Not concerned either. They've locked the catch up. I actually up. think, however, they've played better than what I expected them to. They played a lot better. Because more importantly, they've showed the fight that we expected to see that we didn't see the first few rounds. Mm. But I think part of that came on they wanted to know what was going on with their coach. Yeah, that's been settled now, and rightfully so. Newcastle, this is the one that we disagree with on. And today it came out that Vidiris, I think, was saying that it takes more time and patience. And there's other people obviously calling for his head. Ten years. There's also talk now that Craig Fitzgibbon is interested in the job and that they'd be considering that option. Um, So what happens there, I don't know. But at the same time, I go back to what I said last week. We heap. So much on coaches all the time, and we put no accountability back on the players that you Rubbish. gave the Rubbish. bits and pieces yesterday. Rubbish. Also, about the players apparently enjoying their offseason a bit too much, or well, that's his job to pull them into line. Well, what do you want to do? You want him to be everywhere? Suck a player. A pull someone into. Well, well, clearly they're not doing enough to breach a contract or be issued with a breach notice. Fine, they got bullshit. Safidi. Bullshit. Well, well don't complain about it. They then. got Safidi. Don't complain about it then, because what players do when you're not looking and when they're when they're not in your building, that is culture. That is the environment you're creating. And the environment they're creating at the moment is one of poor performances and a lack of accountability. And look, I, you won't get any argument out of me in that the players have got just as much to answer for here as what the coach does. But the coach has had five years to instill the work ethic, the you know the working environment, the structure, the culture, all that stuff that he wants to install. And five years is by far and away enough time to do that. And they're playing worse now than what they were when he first started there. With more talent, and that's that's my all my argument is, um, whether they sack him or they don't sack him or whatever they decide to do, that's not up to me. But I've got huge concerns because the Titans lost Kevin Proctor before or well, in the warm up. They lost Ryan James um, in the what twelfth minute, I think it was. They threw passes onto the ground. They made errors that the Titans just picked up and ran away with. It was it was bad. Like. I, I had questions over him last week. My concern has doubled based on what they did against the Titans on the weekend because I'm a Titans fan and I don't rate the Titans. I expected Newcastle, if they were fair to go up there and win that game quite comfortably, and they didn't. So I, Newcastle, to me, I, I don't know what to make of Newcastle at the moment. I, I think they're going really, really poorly. It's a long way back. They've had four home games. They've won one. They're one and five. The, I think they said last night the last team to make the finals was back in 2010. Dogs, 2012 or something like that. I think it was so like a long time ago. Like that. I, I'm all looking at it and go back to the point I made last you week. You can keep defending him, and that's fine. No, like, not, you're entitled to your opinion as well. But you know, and I, they, I, don't, I hate I hate bagging coaches because I, I'm the leader of the club of the yeah. the players need to have more accountability than the coach, but. But my He's had a shitload of time. Man. Yeah, I know, but how much of that time was like, well, getting at last week with a good side? But he this is what you handed. build. You build, you I know, know yourself, you build the floor, you build your culture, you, you get people in that are going to do the right thing in the offseason. And he hasn't because the guys he's brought in that are doing the wrong thing. All these guys were doing the right thing last year, and there's only a handful that they brought in this year. Well, how do you know that they were doing the right thing last year? Because they actually well, went in a few games results. and there was, no, there was no noise. Well, clearly. Well, the results feel- still weren't good enough to make the eight. Well, again, though, we're talking about a few guys that may be stepping out of line. We're putting it all back on the head coach. And I'm more of the, the opinion coach. of what you're bringing up. That I'm they... not putting it all back on the head coach, but there's got to be some questions asked when you've been doing it for Surely five some years. some questions have got to be asked. But at the same time, like I said last week, and like I said before, out of all the talk of, oh, he's had five years, 
how many of those years were with the quality side? This is the matter. first time he's actually got. It's not to about. A play. It's not a question about player talent. It's a question about accountability, the work environment, the way in which they go about their day to day business. Because at the moment they can't even complete a fucking set. They can't even pass the ball. To pass the ball, where where does that fall back on? It falls back onto what they're doing on the training park. I would imagine. I'm sure they're doing a lot more than just taking one outs on the training park. Well, you watch them play. I am watching them play. And they're playing like shit. Yeah. And I think he needs to take a step forward this week and maybe drop some blokes regardless of the results and take a stand in that sense Probably of things two weeks to take too a bit more control. Well. But at the same time, like I said, we're six games in to the first time he's had full autonomy of his salary cap and a side, and I think a lot of blokes are letting him down. And the first person we're going after, as usual, is a coach. No, I'm not going. I'm, I'm going just players. as hard as the players. But no, he's let's, had bring five in, years. let's bring in another coach again. Let's so what are we doing this time next year if it's starting starting again? And that, that argument is flawed to, as well. Get to this that part. argument's flawed. We said that last week. You, you, don't, this... you don't then go and get a coach that says, I want to rebuild. Because a coach would be able to identify that roster and go, that's top eight roster. And he would then enter going, I'm happy with the roster. Or you wouldn't employ him. You wouldn't employ someone that would then go in and go, I'm going to rebuild. There's no need for a rebuild there. Well, They've rebuilt. Regardless of what you're saying, everyone makes changes. Okay, slight changes, yeah. But there's no need for a rebuild in Newcastle. That's an exaggeration, and that's going far away from the argument I'm trying to make. The argument I'm making is that they are playing well below where they should be playing. They should be. And the accountability of that falls on the head coach. If he's had a year or two, I'd sort of go, okay, give him time. He's had five. Yeah, again, and this is the first time. And you can time make your argument, but you're not, you're not going to pull me over to your side because it's been five years. How many other coaches in the NRL have had five years without making the finals and yeah, have survived their jobs? to build from the ground up Plenty. with a salary cap issue and get back to this point Plenty. where almost taken four Dean of those Pay's years. doing it now. Yeah, exactly, and they're already talking about sacking him as well. As soon as he gets the job done, when a better coach becomes available. How fucking stupid is that? Same well, thing we're trying to do him. right here. They just get, yeah, That's paper talk. Up until the salary cap's done, Please. and then they're going to go for Flanagan, or they're going to go for somewhere else. That's they're going to do whatever. Talk. They just re-sign you. It's the same argument all over again. Then you get somebody else in to take the job. I'm not saying whether he can do a good job or he can't do a good job. But again, job, what do you think What do you suddenly, think the Bulldogs are going to do then? They're going suddenly, to go and get a coach that says, that, well, well, let's rebuild. Of course they're not. within six games, all of a sudden, he's just lost complete control of what's been going on. And apparently no, you're exaggerating the point. The but point is that they're let, playing like shit let, and the accountability of that falls onto him. Let the year unveil itself a little bit. We're six games in and we're already talking about getting a new coach in and changing everything. With the season's over, which it's very, very close to being Well, if over. they get to that point, that's fair enough. But to be six games in and already be like, yep, he's sacked, it's done. Like, well, Phil Rothfield said last night that it's Jesus as good as Christ. done. So I, and I wouldn't know that. But. And again, they talk today, like, oh, Fitzgibbon, I'm sure they'd probably get Fitzgibbon because that'd be his first gig. But is he prepared to take that role? Is he ready to run a club? Does he know enough about junior development, mean, get a good staff around him? That. Adam O'Brien, they talk about him going there. Why the fuck would Adam O'Brien take that job when he just come to the Roosters? But what do you think Adam O'Brien wants to do? Just be a professional be a assistant? Coach, but I think at the same time that he's getting another grounding or base where he is, like he has at Melbourne, to yeah. be taking one of those better jobs at That's some point. That's a flawed argument as well. How much of a grounding do you need? He's been doing it for however long. He knows how to run a, run a club. He knows how to be a head coach. He knows he's been under two good coaches. you got to jump sometime, Adam. And I'm sure he the will jobs are The jobs are few and far between in, in the NRL. But is he so, going to be happy with the situation there? Because I don't well, think he's just going to take any job. You get plenty of worse jobs in the NRL. Well, again, his first roster, job. He'll please. clearly make a choice. But, yeah, we'll move on from that one. Tackle five. The five and one teams, the complete opposite. Three of them I don't really need to spend any time on because, to be honest, I'm not surprised at all about the Roosters, the Storm, and South. So I had all those teams in my top four. I'm pretty sure you had them all around Who the same. Sydney, South, and Melbourne. Yeah. 
Raiders are the real surprise. Setting the preseason thing, as usual, you could expect them maybe to be in the eight or to miss out, but you'd never know what you're going to get. No, I think go back and listen to the preview. We both said if they get their defence right, they can be well, in the They've been to get their defence right forever. And they have. But we're worried about a bit of a turnover, the half situation, Jack White moving in, the fullback thing. Chance Nickel Cogstab was a sneaky player that was mentioned to do a good job coming over. Did I think he'd have this kind of impact? No, but the main thing is the forward pack and defence. Their forward pack has exceeded far what anyone expected. New Bateman was a good player. Didn't think he was this good of a player, but again, coming into the NRL himself, Whitehead, Louie, Papali moving to the middle has done a great job. But their whole team culture and attitude has flipped. That's the most important thing. And they finally all seem to be relentless about their defence and blind to their defence first, and their attack comes naturally second, which has never been a problem for the Rangers. They've always been a top four attacking side. The issue has been they've had no resilience in the back end of games or never been able to defend their line, been poor on their edges, they've had no relentless line speed, they've had no dog in them whatsoever. This year it seems the complete opposite in all facets of their game. Yeah, so on I, that side I, of things, I, I think it was just an it was an argument. That... Again, you want to talk about coaches getting time. How many years Ricky Stewart missed the finals, had struggles down there by that one year and he's still got a job. I think They made full... the finals they made the finals two years ago. Yeah. And, and almost, how many times out of that previously? Made a, uh, and five almost years made a out of that, made it once. So what I'm getting at is But then you've just, you just contradicted asked. your whole argument on Newcastle because you just said that, you know, they've got to have dog and they've got to have this and they've got to have that, and which they've now got. Newcastle doesn't have it, so we're going to give Ricky Stewart a rap for them for him Ricky Stewart instilling it. The whole time. But then we're going to defend Nathan Brown for his team not having it. It's a flawed argument. Anyway, He's literally Newcastle, over- Canberra needed to fix their defence. They've spent their whole preseason on defence, clearly. At the moment, it's working for them. Uh, I think they, they got away with one on Sunday because I think Brisbane are just, at the moment, in a trance where they just don't know how to win. Like, Brisbane got to the lead. Uh, that match of trial was fairly easy. And then Brisbane go down and drop the ball and gift them points. Um, I'm really impressed with how Canberra are playing. I think there's no argument that if they defend... If they're a top-eight side defensively, they're a top-eight team, no argument, because, they're, as you said, their attack is top-four. There's been never any argument that they can generate points. It's always been that they get beat 30 to 28 and they've got no resilience and no dog and all that stuff you spoke about. This year they've got it through six rounds, yes. Uh, But, again, you just want to see it for an extended period of time and they're going to have to do it for an extended period of time in order to play finals. I think there's a difference of opinion again there before you stomp the argument. They've always had talent. They always always haven't had the attitude to back up. I wouldn't agree. I wouldn't always agree with that either. Look at their halves now. Like Sam Williams, be talented. Jack White, and he's playing out of position at 5'8". Well, you'd think Chance Nickel clock start. He couldn't get a run in What, because New of Roger Tuivasa's shit? No, I'm just saying that, you know... That's a pretty bloody hefty uh, person to be stuck behind. There's hidden gems everywhere. I don't, I don't really look at their Canberra's roster, and it, it doesn't really jump out off the page to me. Well, between the English uh, compared to others, it's one of the best back fives in the comp, which we've known about for I'm not bagging their roster. I'm just saying that their roster... We had questions. Whose who's roster's better then? We had Newcastle's or Canberra's? What? The way they're On playing. paper. On paper, you'd say the Raiders. I didn't agree with some of the players that were brought the Raiders in. The... Argument, the Raiders' side is better on paper than Newcastle's. You want to argue back fives? No, I'm not going to argue I mean, anything. I'm just saying that pretty... where, where did we have them pre-season? I'd be interested to know where you had them pre-season, Raiders and... Only one spot and, apart. They're well, both outside go. the eight. I didn't have So we're arguing there. we're splitting hairs there. And, and one team the is top four and one team is second last. For the recruitment they had, as well as the junior development, that I didn't think they still brought in enough players, which is why I didn't put Newcastle on the eight. But the build wasn't done yet. Everyone's carrying on that the build's done just because they've got Callum Ponga and Mitchell Pearce. It's a 20-year build. They still need a nine. 
they still need to address having another halves. Well, maybe they should have bought a nine instead of spending a million dollars on David. How many good nines are out there, and who was available? Well, I don't know. You've defended Denny Levi for years. I've said Denny Levi is no good. And they should have moved on from Denny Levi. And then they bought Kurt Mann to play nine. Like, please. It brought him in as a utility. They've tried to get him to play nine. A utility that's now playing nowhere. The same situation a lot of clubs have. Penrith don't have a nine. They've developed yeah, no, two they of their own. They don't have. They can't buy They one. don't have a North nine. Queensland are sick of Jake Granville. No, now they're playing Baptiste, and they're still looking to buy Reese Robson. Bulldogs aren't happy with their, their nines. They're trying to buy one as well. There's not enough quality nines. Full stop going around. Mm. But I think full credit to them. Finally, under Ricky Stewart, I think there's been some poor decisions the last couple of years and questions on their culture and their attitude and being immature. And he's always given them an out and an excuse. This year they've turned up. They've got a hard edge. They look like they've bought into what they've done in the off season. They're playing some good football. Who gave them an out and an excuse? Him. Every time he got in a bloody press conference, he blamed the refs, or I feel sorry for my boys, or this, that, the other, this year. And then they got poor results. It looks like they've finally got a hard edge, and they've done some hard work in the off-season, and they've bought into the defensive side of things, which is a good thing good to say. Good head coaching. Because they've always been good, as far as attack's concerned. Uh, the other three teams, like I said, I don't really need to go too much about them. There's no surprises there with the Roosters, the Storm. South Sydney, I think South Sydney I have think had... I think the Storm's probably surprised on the end that I didn't think that they play that well. I guess style of play or what you would have expected, but I thought I didn't expect them still... to be five and one. I really didn't, and they could easily be six and zero oh because that game the other night, I think with ten to go at the seventieth minute, most people would have had their money on Melbourne winning that game, well, I just particularly think... when Kiri went off. So they could easily be six and zero, oh, and that that does surprise me. I think they've exceeded my expectations in terms of where I thought how I thought they could play and where I think thought they would finish. So I, I give them a wrap. The Roosters have been outstanding. South, I think, have got their... Uh, how would you say? I, not, they haven't been messy, but they certainly haven't been convincing South. Well, it hasn't been clean from either, though. No. They've lost no, no, two strike centres. The game against the Titans was ugly. Before they've come to the Friday's season. Friday's game was ugly. They lost their coach. They got a new coach in. Yeah. Things haven't all been smooth. South no, I think that's more credit to good. them in the fact that they've got... They've accumulated five wins and... And they haven't all and been done pretty. it messy, yeah. Uh, and the last point I got here, tackle six is the rest. And look at the teams and where they sit. So obviously we've already gone through that one win. And the top tier in the middle, we've got the Eels and the Dragons four and two. I think credit especially goes to both of those sides because the Eels, I had as a wooden spooner. I thought that young spine, the young forwards, and all the guys around the group and the guys off contract who haven't done much uh, in the past twelve to eighteen months, or even a few that overachieved the year before, I, I thought it was curtains. But a lot of them have proved me wrong. And I'm happy to wear that. And in particular, Mitchell Moses has proved a lot of people wrong, including myself this year, the way he's playing, leading that side. It's taken a bit longer than I thought to get to that point. But now that is his team. He's been absolutely exceptional. Mm. Junior Paulo's come back, proven that he's probably worth the money at the moment and playing decent minutes. Lane, Oregon Kafusi, young bloke stepped up, Reed Mahoney. They're right now got themselves in a position where 12 months ago you would have wanted to put the broom to the joint. And now you're sitting there looking at it going, they've potentially got their spine sorted. And some. Jamin Salmon and Dylan Brown both seem to provided, fit at that six spot. Provided they can sign him. That's the the main thing we've got to sort out, I guess. Mm. But you're looking at it now going, well... Parramatta's in a hard spot from a signing perspective and recruitment perspective and the coaching perspective because they've gone from salary cap crisis, handling that really well, um, having the... What was it? They got deducted six points or four points, so they were never really a chance of making the eight that year. They come out, make finals, went out the back door, but have a good year come in last year with a lot of expectation, finish last, and then now this year start the season at 4-2. and two. Um, it's, it's a difficult one. The two losses they've had, they had a, a really tight, gritty game with the Roosters, and then they were spanked by the Raiders down in Canberra. 
So, do, you know, do the Eels just ignore what happened last year and go and sign Arthur and sign the key position players? Because they certainly weren't playing like this last year, which for me, it just makes it a really, really hard one. Because right now you'd sign them to long-term deals, but you know the dangers yourself of a long-term deal. But then again, you don't want to push them to the point where they just go, well, stick it up your ass and go on elsewhere. So I think the Eels have really got to find that balance. I think the first thing Parramatta need to do is make a decision on their head coach. I think Brad Arthur is the, the answer there. I think he's done a pretty good job. He's a Parramatta man. He's been there um, and in around a core group of, of coaches and administrators, you know, from Andrew Hill and, and Gareth Holmes and now at Canterbury, Matt Cameron, who's now at Penrith, um, Joey Grimer, who spent some time at London and Cronulla, who's now back um, at the Eels, Craig Brennan, who's got the Harold Matthews, but he's been in and around the club for a long period of time, Craig Colnane, they're all Parramatta people. They're all under... Brian Smith um, and Brad Arthur was a part of that core group who's done a lot of coaching and he's certainly done, um, uh, I guess, done his dues there and, and earned his job coaching at Parramatta. So for me, he's a Parramatta man. He's doing a, a decent job, um, doing a fantastic job this year. The thing I like about Parramatta, when they talk, when Brad Arthur talks about last year, he, he owns it. It's, he's accountable for it. When Mitchell Moses talks about last year, he's accountable for it. And a lot of the things that they're saying at the moment is that it's about team. Last year, we were all selfish. And I think that just tells me that they've identified the reasons why, you know, they went so poorly last year and they're working as hard as they possibly can to be uh, build that, I guess, that team mentality throughout the joint. And they're playing like it. So I think the priority one's got to be make a call on Brad Arthur. My call would be sign him for a couple of years, probably two or three years. From there, you can then sort your roster. It's very difficult for players to want to sign when they don't know who their coach is. And I think that's the issue they're having with Gutherson at the moment. I don't think it's the issue. The issue is simply I think money. I think it's 100% the issue. I think well, Gutherson would take 200k less to play at Parramatta under Arthur than what he would. He would. Well, took Gunders last time. He's clearly at the peak of his powers. He couldn't have done much more in the games he's played yeah, so well, far. Yeah, whatever the argument is, I, I think Plain whether, whether we say he's worth, he could get probably 800 on the open market, maybe, I don't know, 750. I think Parramatta should just say to him, look, we'll give you 700. Well, a couple of internos yeah. are carrying on like there's no one on the market that can do with a fullback, but I beg to differ. I think the Cowboys, if they can't get Valentine Holmes, which is still something out of the realm of possibility, would he move there? I don't know if he'd leave Sydney, but Penrith could certainly do with one. There's a couple of teams that need a fullback. Mm. That's well short of the mark saying that there's no one that needs a fullback. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, I guess, is that they should take that, the external, the Brad the external thing... clubs should not even come into consideration because... Clint Gutherson doesn't want to leave Parramatta. No, so it should be an easy But the Brad Arthur argument conversation doesn't even for really to need to be one to consider for me because I said it a couple of years ago. For all the shit they put him through and he stuck by them when he had opportunities to bail out, he has one bad year, which again, more so we try to knife the coach first up again when the players were the ones that have to take some accountability. No, Clearly one of he them... He hasn't had five years and he made the finals year before that. So he was, he was very much um, within a position to have a bad year, have a lean year. And they should have, they should have signed him... Last year, in my opinion, they should have just extended him last year. Well, I understand. They should have already extended I understand him this year. Wanting to come into this year and having a bit of a glimpse, but to say, but oh, you then you're saying that everyone bags the coach. I was like, well, no, we don't. We're talking about me and you, but I, I've never bagged Brad Arthur and said that they should sack Brad Arthur. So, well, for I, the, you know, for external noise, I don't give a fuck about external noise about what other he's people banked think. enough points to me, and they should know right. internally that they just he's the that. man to get them. And he's Paramount through and through. 
So and now the way the year started off and the way the group's going, I don't think things are going to suddenly change because he signs a fucking contract one week. So this whole mid-season it thing will change. Is it, it will definitely change. It gives Parramatta more bargaining power to say Brad Arthur's yeah, going to be the, the coach. Players, and go, I'm saying yeah. for them and the whole playing group, like they're suddenly going to fall off next week and stop playing because you got a contract. Get it done. No, no, no. And sort that's, it out. That's not even it's an not argument It's not going to cost them a ridiculous amount of money. Secure your future. Then go straight away to the two guys that matter most. You've still got a young halfback. Well, look at Griffin. Didn't Griffin get extended last year and then sacked? Des Hasler got extended and well, then sacked in the go. same year. So it's, you got it's a flawed argument who, anyway. Your club captain. They talk about his training ethic, his work ethic, helping people out with nutrition in the gym, and he's playing like an absolute champion on the field, and he's one of your key positions. I think the bigger issue for Parramatta isn't the spine positions. You pay them what they're worth, plain and simple. There's not enough halfbacks, fullbacks, hookers, etc., and they've got Mahoney locked up for a couple of years. The ones they need to be careful of that everyone's neglecting to stick to, if they're going to keep Jennings, Takarangi, and all these guys that are suddenly playing really, really well because it's contract year, value for money. Don't fuck your salary cap and handcuff yourself moving forward. Get those contracts right. It doesn't matter what you do with your spine piece and other bits and pieces. That's yeah, the key well, it to does. They, they still need to make sure that they land within. Well, their... they will get value for money, but we like again. Realm we talk off, about... yeah. But if you if you're allocating, if you're saying that well, we've got seven fifty to spend on our fullback, and you spend fifty k more, it's fifty k that's got to come out of somewhere else, mate. You know that yourself. Well, that's so fine, they've got to manage the it. And they all still got to. I get that. They still got to manage it correctly. They should have juniors coming through so anyway. They're one of these clubs that's able only to do that they situation. know. Only they know where they're at in terms of their cap management and how much they've got to spend and you know what sort of third parties they've got and all that sort of stuff it's a it's an absolute jigsaw puzzle but for us from the outside looking in it looks a no-brainer they should sign Gutherson well it should be a no-brainer, should be a no-brainer. I think it's been a no-brainer last year as well effort-wise and on-field so we're making the same end. argument move on the Dragons another one that people have laid the boot into I give full credit to the way they started having everyone crammed in all the off-season stuff they've had to deal with not having DeBell and that's not going to be sorted anytime soon we're not wanting to leave after signing four-year extension, which really stuck a knife in their back and put them in an awkward situation. I think they're playing above and beyond where I thought they were, and a lot of people have gone quiet on that front now. The Dragons? Again, for all the people, again, cooking, kicking coaches and pushing that marker and oh, saying... Keep going on. No, well, people keep saying McGregor. Who are we talking about? Everyone, the media. media fans, like, laying into McGregor, get a better coach. Who are you getting? Who are you getting to your club? Who's going to do a better job? Well, a lot of, we get a lot of inboxes about Paul McGregor. I know. A lot of people lay into it. I'm not saying he's... It's all about the end game. I know he's winning a comp, but sometimes you've got to look at your club, the situation you're in, who you've got, what's happening, and just accept that you're not going to win a comp every year. And there's a couple of teams that are going to win comps or are in a situation to win a comp. Only one team's going to win a comp. So from that perspective, I don't think the Dragons are really in a bad spot. I think he's done a pretty good job. But people, for some reason, still want to get him fired. But I think them at 4-2 and two have done a great job. The 3-3 three and three sides, I think the well, Sharks... Well, they, they, they were... On the brink, weren't they? Because they were zero and two, the Dragons, and then won that golden point game, and then won another golden point game. So they could have easily been zero and four. So they're they're one that, you know, I think the last two weeks have been great. Um, but yeah, it's it's one where you know you look at the Brisbane side of it, and you go, well, Jesus, they've lost a few close games, whereas the Dragons have won a couple of close games, and it's just funny how the lay of the land is and what the sort of speculation is and where the pressure is in terms of results by again, a point players, or two. I'm getting at. Like, they've come into this with two marquee players. Well, I think the best thing that ever happened to them, and this is going to sound horrible, the he best thing that happened to them was that Gareth Whitlock got injured. Yeah, 100%. Because it solved that puzzle. Yeah. And the forward pack's doing their Terrible job. Terrible for Gareth Whitlock. Her- horrendous. And you never want to see players get injured. However, it made that equation very simple for Paul McGregor. And they played much better ever since. For me and Lee at three and three, I think they've overachieved so far. Des Hasler, full credit, had our reserves, as we said in the offseason. Has he made the changes? The rumours were basically he hasn't. But if there's one thing we will give back to him is he's brought back that fighting spirit and that grit that Manly always had. Their defence at the moment, their goal on defence is... Is exceptional. 
I think Cronulla, yeah, John Morris, right. the situation he walked into, that was awkward. They're also in a transition period. They've still got a good squad, but they've got a lot of young guys they're having to blood into that squad, and they've had a shitload of injuries. To be 3-3 three and three with what's happened to them so far, I think is a good good result Penrith, as well. Penrith gifted them the game on Thursday night, um, but I think considering their injury toll... I wouldn't say they gifted them the game. I think they gifted Cronulla them the gifted them a 14-point start, <laughs> they, and then they hunted them down. They gifted them the game. Well, if that they didn't give away 25, 30 minutes of possession, Penrith would have been gifted them the game. Down. Penrith were oh. all over them, I and they just them. handed the game back. Dallin Martins, Zelezniak, basically gift wrapped the game and handed it to them. Well, I thought they gift wrapped the first 25, 30 minutes for Penrith when they couldn't hold the football and kept giving them good football inside 20. Yeah, I, I thought Cronulla were the better team for 20 minutes. Penrith were the better team for 60 minutes. So you make of that what you want. Well, West's at 3-3. Three and three. Again, Maguire, you know they're going to have a hard edge. I think the biggest thing for them is just consistency. But I think they're doing all right considering their situation. The two and two sides that we've got left over. The Titans, uh, you know, two gritty wins in a row now after a very poor start. I think that's not a bad spot for them to be in considering. And now the injuries they've had. The Cowboys losing Barber, then losing Tamalolo to be two and four. That losing streak wasn't great, but again, given the situation, I don't think we're at all surprised. The Warriors losing Johnson, having Green be out the first few weeks, blooding these new halves. I think the biggest disappointment with them is they've still got international forwards and outside backs not really doing a good enough job or contributing to help. But I, I guess out of that, the team left over there is the Panthers is the one we've got real concern over when you look at all these spots and where they lay right now. They're the yeah. biggest surprise of everybody. Being yeah. two and four. Again, they've lost some games they should have won. They've won a game or two that they should have lost, so uh, I don't know what to make of Penrith. Their attack's poor. Their better players are playing poor. They don't have a nine. They don't have a one. We've said that for weeks. Their front rowers are playing like busteds, apart from James Tarmour. Um And their halves haven't got much of a platform. They're showing a lack of patience, a lack of discipline. Um, they just haven't put together 80 minutes. I've got no doubt Ivan Cleary would be doing a, a really good job there and coaching the coaching the uh, the hell out of him. But you know, I don't know whether it's a stylistic thing, whether they're sort of adjusting going from what Griffin was doing with him to you know now what Ivan wants to do. But from all reports, the preseason they had was as good as a preseason they've had for a long time. The players themselves, a they couple of them even yeah. came out and took shots at Griffin, saying that this is the best it's ever been, and this, that, and the other. And the results aren't proven that way. So uh, two and four. I think more of it. They, they'd want to. They'd want to be flipper. That they want to be at least four and two. So they're two wins behind where they like to be. Penrith, no doubt about that. I think their bigger issues happened off the field, and I think it's bled into them. A lot of people that haven't played the game, uh, when you've got external pressure or something weighing on your mind, I think it affects everything. It affects the way you train, the way you play, and your focus. What external pressure are we talking about? Well, they've had off-field incidents, obviously, and things going yeah. on at the club. I think there's a few guys that still have a heavy conscience or have some things maybe hanging over them that aren't really sitting that well. Mm. And I think that might be causing some tension still within the group. I don't blame it on the coach and any situation we've got there, but uh, probably the last bit of mail before we move on from the longest set of six ever is talk is that Phil Gould will be moving on from the Penrith Panthers as early as tomorrow. Uh, apparently went in today basically seeking to well, be not made... apparently, he did. He well, went in there today, asked for a release. Seeking to be re- made redundant from his position yeah. since basically the boards came in, they got Ivan back on board. Ivan being on board, as we said, he wasn't going to be coming back, obviously, with Phil Gould over the top of him as far as recruitment, retention, all those other bits and pieces. His role has been significantly shrunk and obviously he's now looking at it thinking, well, I don't want to be here. Uh, and tomorrow they're going to have a board meeting. Yeah, it look, seems like it's going to be approved, and he's going to move on from the. What club. time is it now? Five o'clock. I got a text at about one thirty saying that he'd gone in and it's as good as done. It's got to be rubber stamped tomorrow at a board meeting. My the only thing I'll say on this, I'm not surprised. The the biggest thing, and I said this on podcast last year when 
Griffin was sacked and then when they signed Cleary at the end of last year, I thought that as soon as Cleary came in that Gus would be gone. So I am surprised that this didn't happen when Cleary signed. That's all I'll say. I think it was only, it was a matter of time because they, they don't get on. They haven't got on since Gus sacked him. Um, and it was going to be very, very clear, as we both stated last year. We thought that was the wrong call at the time to sack Ivan. I thought it was probably the wrong call to get him back. Um, but, you know, the proof will be in the pudding of that. Um, but for me, it was he was never, ever, Ivan was never, ever going to come back and have Gus, I guess, oversee the football program. It was always going to be that he was going to control it. I think Phil Gould has done, has saved Penrith. Saved Penrith. He's, you know, having spent minimal time with him, you know, the year I, or the 18 months there I was doing 20s, spent a few um, hours in a room with him. He's the smartest, most intelligent person I've ever come across in rugby league. Um, And he's done wonderful things. The centre of excellence out there, everyone who's been through there or seen it or knows anything about it, knows it's state-of-the-art, best facility probably in Australia or to rival any in Australia. Um, His fingerprints are all over that. The junior pathways, his fingerprints are all over that. They've won multiple New South Wales Cups, uh, Holden Cups, SG Balls, Harold Matthews while he's been at the club. Uh, He couldn't have done any more. His job is done. He's made himself redundant. Gus in the, in the fantastic though, job he's besides done. Besides all those points, you've neglected the main one. They were millions and millions in debt. People don't actually understand that his background in clubs. Yeah, but he never would have been able to build a centre of excellence before. if he hadn't been financially that, viable. But he had to get them viable. But what I'm saying is, I think people are neglecting the fact that all the stuff he did with football, no one's the financial this side is a football of show. It's not a financial show. Absolutely. Yeah, but he had to do that stuff first, is what I'm saying. He had a big part in that as well. And the redevelopment was, and that the was selling Gus. and all the things that they've done. So he, And as I said, the only thing I would say is that he's made himself redundant in the fact that he, he can't do it anymore. The players now need to do it. The players need to go out and win a comp because they've got the players there. They've got the roster there. So, you know, and, and, and Ivan has obviously got some differing ideas on what Griffin was doing and what Gus probably wants to do. So he's got to head the football program in the right direction, but... They couldn't, could not be in a better position because they're going to have juniors coming through for the next 10 years at least unless they just wipe out all the good work Gus has done in the junior pathways. Um, so he's done a fantastic job. He saved that club. The club was a basket case when he came in. All good. Finished with the set of six and moving on now to our power rankings. As we said, we'd get into it once we're about six rounds through for the first time this year and the power rankings brought to you by, appropriately... Penrith Solar Centre. Want to know what's worse than seeing your team cop the wooden spoon this season? It's getting slapped with a rising power bill that puts you on edge more than an origin decider. Penrith Solar Centre are Western Sydney's leading solar specialists who are helping local families take control of their bills. Let the sun work for you, your home and your back pocket. Contact them today on 1800 2029 30 and www.penrithsolar.com.au. Discuss how you can become the real winner. This season, power rankings, number one, I don't think it's any rocket science here, the Sydney Roosters. Yep. Exceptional depth, great squad. Uh, no matter what changes have faced them so far this year, they've come out in front. Number two, uh, Melbourne Storm. Storm. Exceeded where I think both of us thought they'd be. Still had them as a top four team, but to start the other way they have with the players they're missing, in particular Billy Slater, um, outstanding. Number three, South Sydney. We've got the Raiders. Fair um, enough. I don't know, they've played... Uh, the Storm, I thought they played the Storm quite close. South, they beat the Roosters in round one. I just think the Raiders at the moment are playing better than South. I've got South at four. Yep. Well, I've got the Raiders at four. And again, uh, exceptional defense at the moment. They've built. What's the exceptional count up to today? It's up high. 
Oh, the, the for me account is up high as well, so don't worry. The what? The for me. We always What's get that the one, there, You for me, in your opinion, that's up very high as well. Okay. So don't worry. Exceptional. Not as high as exceptional though. They're running both ways. Uh, number five, I've got the eels. Ah, uh, the eels. Yep. Yep. Good start of the year. A bit surprising for everybody, but the attitude, the turnaround, uh, relentless yesterday. Great way to open that stadium and a good way to build into this year, kicking off four and two. Number six, the Dragons. I've got the Dragons at six. Again, good turnaround after a rough start. Lots of question marks, a couple of injuries, off-field controversy, but they've steadied the shit there, playing some good football. Uh, number seven, the Sharks. Sharkies. Again, uh, new coach, new regime, lots of injuries, good group of young kids. Britton Nakora, exceptional start of the season for him. And there's another one for there you, Boxhead. A couple of the young blokes, Will Kennedy played the other night, Bronson Cherry. Great young talent. There's plenty to like about what they're doing at Cronulla. And number eight, I've got Manly rounding things out for the time. Manly, yeah. So we've only got one different. Yeah. And then on the outside of that, obviously the closest, if you're going to look at results, is the Tigers at three and three. Tigers. They just got lapped by 50 points yesterday. So there's. I don't think anyone outside of that eight deserves to be in the top eight. And I'm not disagreeing with that at all. So jumping into now, the reviews of the games from the weekend. Speaking of some of those teams, the Panthers and the Sharks, 24-20. Uh, for me, this was a first half where Cronulla just had errors, penalties galore, gave Penrith every opportunity inside 20 just to park themselves down there. And early on, Penrith broke their own mould and actually had a high completion rate, built some pressure, sat inside 20, and they found some points. James Maloney orchestrated both of those tries. I think the the first one was just a poor read there where Grant crashed through, then the kick for Nathan, and then going in at halftime at 14-0, had a little bit of concern, uh, obviously, for Cronulla Sharks. But coming to the second half... When they got into the cycle, which is something they didn't do in the first half at all and hold the football, I was extremely worried for Penrith in the first 10 minutes when I thought the crowd would just eat them up in the territory battle. They absolutely chewed them up. They scored that first try off the link play on the kick return from Bronson Sherry there, which is an exceptional try, and then unfortunately made an error, gifted Penrith an opportunity, and Nathan Cleary threw an absolute cracker pass to Wunga Blake, which I thought would put them to bed, but... That resilient nature is still there for Cronulla. They got back in the cycle. They were relentless. And when Faria went off the field and Maloney was paired up next to Yo, they targeted that for the next 20 minutes and they found lots of love. Just absolutely tore them to shreds. And I think the bigger issue for here, me here is even with a 14-point lead with Penrith, I was never confident they were going to close out that game. They I was never comfortable. It's a game they should never have lost. Uh, they got themselves in a position where uh, they had more possession... They had given away less penalties. They'd made less errors. They were all over uh, Cronulla. And then at the end of the game, they gave away so much possession that Cronulla ended up winning the possession battle 59 to 41%. There was a period there, a 16-minute period, where I think Penrith had two sets. Uh, it was just diabolical. Diabolical. They lost seven, uh, the penalty count 7-2. They ended up making less errors, but... Well, big stat for me again, 46 misses. And I talked about the territory when they actually got some football and got in the battle. They beat them 1,700 to 1,200 metres. So you tell me after the first 20, 25 minutes with next to no possession to end up 500 metres ahead for the game tells you everything you need to know. They won the middle. They got them on the edges. They pulled them apart. uh, And they just choked them up and run them down. And again, we see a real positive for the Sharks with Moylan, with Woods, with Johnson missing some games and coming back in that you've got Nakora, you've got Bronson Cherry. Both Brayleys are playing pretty well. They've obviously probably shown some intention uh, of their future there, signing the younger one, Blake, for three years uh, the day after the game, and then Will Kennedy debuting. They've got a great Mm. crop of young kids mixing in with some older players, and Andrew Fafita, for someone who wasn't supposed to play the other night with his hamstring, he was absolutely exceptional. You can say whatever you want 
at 20 to 6, you should never lose a game with New South Wales Origin halves, Kiwi international fullback. Uh, I thought the turning point was when Dallin gave away a penalty in possession of the ball. Dumb play. Uh, and that just sparked a bit of a, a resistance from Cronulla. And the last 10 minutes, I, I think the four points probably flatters Penrith, to be fair. I, if the game went another 10 minutes, they, they probably would have scored another one or two Cronulla because Penrith were paddling by the end of it. Yeah. I think uh, the one constant for me every week for Penrith has been James Fisher-Harris. I thought he was good again. Tough, yeah. thought Nath had one of his better games. I thought he had a couple of moments last week, but uh, that pass to Wonga Blake, the one that he obviously chased through. It's very hard for him at the moment when they're just Well, your forward pass going nowhere. In the, in the You're not getting much help from your nine. There's a lot of pressure on those guys and... Um, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on there, but things need to turn around and they need to turn around fairly. Well, they, they, they need their front rowers to stand up well, and dominate, dominate the middle. Well, the main one for me, uh, well, I think we've mentioned it most weeks, is Regan Campbell-Gillard. They gave him a lifetime contract last year, big money, and he played one origin and he talked a lot of crap last year. He's going to bash everyone up for Queensland. I know he broke his jaw and he's had another broken jaw in the off-season, so I don't you know, have anything against him on that side of things. I don't wish injury upon anyone, so I don't know whether he's struggling still because that's happened twice and he's a bit gun-shy. I don't know whether the money thing is, like, as we know, some blokes get a little bit complacent. I don't know what's going on there. But when you get a five, six-year yeah, deal... you're trying to delve into things we don't know. What you do know is he's not playing well. No, he needs to not, play not better. for the money that he's on yeah, and the exactly. expectation that's on him. He needs to lead that forward back. Correct. And right now, James Tarmow, someone who's had neck surgery, played for over a decade and has already got a premiership ring is the one leading from the front. Well, credit to Tom, because at the end, the end of last year, I, I couldn't have had, had him. I, I thought Penrith really needed to look at trying to move that contract on because I didn't think they were getting value for money. He was, he was playing off the bench and now he's the leader of that forward pack. Yeah, and he's doing a good job. So he, Him and Fisher-Harris. You're spot on with Fisher-Harris. Yeah. Uh, something's got to change there, but moving on to the second game, South Dogs... Uh, just frustrating to watch, to be honest. I think this can be summed up by I felt like we watched 60 minutes of that game of South being inside the dog's half or inside their 20 and not being given the play the balls they deserved off the back of the momentum and the damage that they were doing. Mm. And full credit to the Bulldogs. And they had it ugly as hell. They got away with it too because that's up to the referees. And, you know, as we say all the time, you go as far as you can until the referee says you can't. But I, I thought that they needed to put a stamp on it with all the rucks that were killed inside 20 and just put someone in the bin. The, penal- game, the, the penalties are one thing, but you put someone in the bin and you, you make a point. But this game just died with those play the balls, just been absolutely diabolical inside 20. South couldn't get anything off the back of it. They couldn't isolate anyone. They were getting rushed in on the edges because the Bulldogs kept getting reset. Um, it was just very frustrating to watch. And, and again, why I credit the Bulldogs for being so gritty. Tolman and a lot of these guys, Remus is chaser. There was a lot of positives and just a great sign of attitude from the Bulldogs. Ogden had some good moments. Um, yeah, this game was an absolute stinker. shit to watch. An absolute stinker. That's about all I've got to say. The referees ruined it. The Bulldogs did their best to ruin it. That was the only way the Bulldogs were ever going to compete. Uh, I thought South, well, they they won. That's about the only positive that South Sydney will get out of that game. Yep. And Wayne Bennett, I thought, nailed it in the press conference. Yeah, 100%. Cook. Shows those continued signs of improvement. Passing game, the kick that he set for the try, I think Cody Walker was pretty good again, considering the circumstances and what he had to work with. And uh, Murray, I think, again, is another one of these guys, just been so consistent week in, week out, and throwing up his hand to possibly get a spot in the origin side, depending on how that works out. But um, five and one, still some improvement there. Missing a couple of pairs of key centres, which is obviously hurting him right now. Uh, but I don't know how the recovery timeline for Braden Burns. I think originally it was around 10 weeks, but they could certainly use him right now mm. just to free up. You know, things a bit there. For the Bulldogs, Tom was exceptional. I think the, the big one for me when he went off the field and they look so much sharper when he's on the field, he's made a big difference as he's been in the sides, Nick Meany. 
Nick Manny makes a huge difference to their attack, which is something that they're still kind of struggling with. But um, th- their effort was there, that's for sure. But they did muddy the waters a bit in that game. There's no doubt about it. Roosters, Melbourne. Uh, what a weird game, but what a cracker game. Yeah, we did the game companion on this one. It was it lived up to expectation. Strange, it was 20, 20 to nil. Was it 20 nil or was it 16 nil? No, it was 20 nil. 20 nil, there you go. Got back to 20 all and golden point, and that's a bit of a lottery, but... Yeah. yeah. Well, Melbourne uncharacteristically started off, even with all those changes to the Roosters, with, you know, no friend, no Tokyo pulling out Manu suspended. You were sitting there thinking, oh, this is all in Melbourne's favour down in Melbourne to get a bit of revenge. Errors, penalties, the right edge defensively of Croft and Scott Suley uh, Vunavali was absolutely dreadful. They were caught out a couple of times there by Latrell Mitchell, who just had a field day. You can't hold it off him, and then when you do, you can't go high and give him space. He just gets out that inspector gadget arm and pushes you away. Tedesco scored off a support try, and then they had the ugly, scrappy one that hit the post, obviously, which is something you can't help. And Rhea Hargraves jumped on the football, but I, I thought early on they were just all over Melbourne. Melbourne wanted to pin them inside their half and hold them there. They let them out a couple of times with some silly penalties. The Roosters forward pack, even with those changes, stepped up. Jared Rhea Hargraves is a massive inclusion, really did his job there, caught his carries. Um, but yeah, coming into half time, I was just more looking at that edge, that right edge, and thinking we're in big trouble if they don't do a better job in the second half. But late on, they got a try there. First time they kind of got some possession. Bromwich through that cutout pass, which Addo Carr scores, and the penalty goal from Croft on half time, 20 to 8. They had a sniff of life. And then in the second half, we finally saw what we talked about all the first half. They wanted to get them pinned down inside their 20, put pressure, build pressure, and fatigue them. And they got six sets in a row, including a kickoff and a penalty again. Parked themselves down there, and Cameron Smith had a cameo there where he just completely took over the game for Melbourne, set up a couple of tries, got some repeat sets, and before you know it, it was 20 all. Yeah, they. If Melbourne were ever going to beat the Roosters this year, I think that was the game because the Roosters had a heap out, um, led the game 20 0. Melbourne managed to get back in, but as you said, they, they didn't really look likely apart from the little cameo and the glider possession they had. Smith. Uh, torch him. I thought Brodie Croft was poor. Uh, it got to the point where I don't know why the ball goes to his side more than Cameron Munster's side, but because for me the Storm looked far more dangerous when Cameron Munster's got his hands on the ball. Other than that, the Roosters were just too good. They've, they've got too many class players, and when you gift them exits out of their own end like Melbourne did on a few occasions, they're going to come back and bite you. And I think it's a credit to Melbourne the way they fought back. That shows a lot of character. It shows, again, just highlights the culture they've got down there. Uh, to come back from 20 nil, not many teams would have done that against the Roosters. I don't think there don't, there don't even be one or two other teams that I'd even suggest could could potentially do that against the Roosters. Uh, and for Melbourne to do that on on Good Friday in a grand final rematch, I think is a credit to them. Golden Point is disappointing. Um, I get, I know it's a great spectacle, but I think- for me, I'd love to see a draw in that case and. We, we move on to next week. Well, the big thing, I think, in Golden Point, Melbourne would have been disappointed. They chose to kick off. They dominated the first two plays. But again, that's all lottery. It's... Yeah, but they still did what they wanted to do, get control of the first two plays of the set, and then they let a rookie in Tupanura in his second game bust through a clean and get up to the 50, which ultimately that's the point. put them You have all the plans in the world. And... Well, you still got to defend. I know they're under heavy fatigue, but that moment was critical. They, they'd done the you hard it, work. But you play can have all the plans, plans in the world and, you, you know... Yeah, well, that good, happens, so. good decoy by Cronk. They get back to the trail, and he hammered that one for 40. That was an absolute oh, cracker field. belter. Though. Yeah, absolute belter. But heartbreak for Melbourne. I think the big question moving forward is if you're not going to beat them when they've got debutantes and Sam Verrills at nine, who I thought did a good job late in the game, and Josh Curran, again, who made some good plays. 
Satili Tupanua, uh, second game in first grade. He was outstanding. He made a couple of really critical runs in that one. No friend. He's still going to come back into the side. Lost Tokyo has arguably been their best forward so far this year. Morris is going to come back into the side and Joseph Manu. I think the scary part is the Roosters are going to get more personnel and grow as a side considering all the injuries and drama they've had early on. That proves the point that we said again. The amount of depth and just quality in this squad is ridiculous. And in particular, their young junior talent. They've got plenty of it right there right now. Melbourne, your real question is, who are they missing and where's the improvement? I have no doubt they'll improve as a side and as a 17, and there's realistically probably only one player that's really not locked in right now, probably being the bench player in Pappenhausen, the utility back. I'm sure he'd rather have Tom Eisenhuth, who unfortunately got injured, who can cover outside backs and the forward pack. But the only question I really have, and we said this in the off-season, was if Scott Drinkwater was going so well that he was going to push Hughes out, and Hughes is playing the way he is now, his background was as a junior half. And we both said that Brodie Croft was poor. If Drinkwater comes back, do they specifically start playing him in the Queensland Cup in the halves again? Or do they push Hughes into the halves, which I looked at doing, and he's played for Mayor and he's played some six and seven, and get Drinkwater at one? Does their spine change moving forward? The spine's going to have to change if Croft's performances continue the way they are. He's playing like a busted. Well, that's the real big one there, and when Drinkwater's back. The thing that's probably keeping him in the side is the fact he can defend so well. And, you know, he gets his body in front and... But even there, like they made some line breaks down his side of the well, field. He's two two pre-line, as we pointed out on the night. Anytime he gets the football straight away, he's overs. He turns his eyes out. He was dropping players under. He was just stitching up. And the, the, the part that really kills you is that when you've got a quality international origin back rower outside you in the form of Felice Cafusi, you need to engage a line and try and play him into space. So he's try not utilising and, him at all. Yeah, he's just not using him. And then outside of him, he's got Will Chambers, who's an origin centre. And then on the other wing, you've obviously got Addo Carr. And you've got, oh, sorry, or you've got Sully on that side of the field, sorry. So there's weapons around him. It's not like he's lacking in quality options, but he needs to do his job much better. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, he's refusing to engage a line. The only time he does... Whatever way they want to um, rejig the side, do it. Because it's got to be better than having Croft playing the way he is at the well, moment. His kicking game's good as well, Croft. Like he's, he's, I'm not you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater here, but it's more just... I'm just not confident when Melbourne get into good ball that he's going to generate anything. No. Like Whereas said, Cameron Munster, I, it's very you know, always, you know, you fear Cameron Munster when he gets the ball. If you're you're a fan of he the doesn't opposition. he doesn't read things well as they break down. It's basically either I'm preconceiving that I'm passing he early, too or tipping under, or I'm running the football. He can't really engage or dig the line and pick short or pick long or pick the run. It's literally I'm doing this. This is how it's happening. But too many times there, Melbourne needed something to happen on that right edge, and he just got early ball, and straight away he's turned under centre forward into four defenders who are already in waiting. He needs to actually engage and try and break them down or ask some questions rather, like you are saying, being so premeditated and so structured in what he's doing. Mm. Um, drink water obviously seems a bit more free-flowing. When did you him, back? Well, it was a 10- to 12-week injury with a peck, so I'd assume he's not back until almost about origin time, yeah. which could quite come in handy when Munster is potentially, well, I guess, going to be playing for Queensland. So they might put him in the halves then or play him at fullback and push Hughes in and start to work on what they're going to do there. But... Have to wait and see. But next one, Cowboys, Warriors, 17-10. And uh, I think I'm just going to echo what I've said most weeks in this regard. I just continually feel sorry for Roger Tuivasa-Shek. I know he made an error in this game uh, in one of those critical moments. But at the same time, I still don't think you can question what he's doing. He's been absolutely exceptional this year for the Warriors and their best player by a country mile. But um, missing Greeny again, yeah, that does hurt. But they've got to be better as a whole. They've still got internationals on their side. They've still got quality players. Their forward pack, they expect better. 
Isaac Luke sitting on the bench for as long as he did, not getting him out there. I know he's just come back from an injury. If he's injured again, don't play him if you're not going to be able to put him out there and utilize him at the right times in the game. But um, Tohu Harris, a couple of these guys I'd expect better of. Adam Blair's absolutely copped it the last few days. People saying he's the worst signing in the club's history. And he's saying, I'm no stranger to that. I got that when I signed with the Tigers. But a $2.4 million deal over four years at that stage of his career, I can't say I agreed with the money or getting in there at the time. But yeah, there's, there's been some scathing reports or some words after what's happened to start this season off for the New Zealand Warriors. Yeah, I can't work the Warriors out. So if anyone can, message us. Because I, I tipped the Cowboys last week because I promised myself at the start of the year that whenever I thought it was right to pick the Warriors, I'm going to pick against them. And there was absolutely zero science in me picking the Cowboys apart from the fact that I just don't trust the Warriors. And I just thought the Cowboys would go up there and grit a win out, which they fortunately did for my tipping, my tip's sake. But they should be playing far better than what they are, the Warriors. There was serious concerns when... Uh, they let Sean Johnson go as to whether the halves that they've got there are going to be able to generate enough points when he's not there and when they have Blake Green out because you're never not going to have injuries at stages of the season. And uh, They were at home and they had plenty to play for and they were poor. Cowboys were good enough to win and it's one that they'll gladly stick in their kit bag and fly back to Townsville with, but the Warriors, wow. Yeah, again, I, I don't know what to say about them. Like, like I know you feel sorry for Roger Tuovasa-Sheck, but I feel he sorry. knows... Like, you wanted to go back there and play there. And think well, he signed that difference. extension, like I spoke about last year, which surprised me. I thought, I, I thought it was madness when he signed there from the Roosters. Like, a, And the Roosters are always going to land on their feet. They've got yeah. two of us a Sheck to go there. But, well, Harris is another one of these guys I look yeah, at. And think from, he's... from a long, not a longevity, but if you want to win, like he, he would have been much better playing and staying at the Roosters. But credit to him. Like, he went to the Warriors and won a Dalian medal last he's year. He's busting his ass. That's um, the one thing I will say. For he is. He, he hasn't I, gone I love back him. and got he, comfortable. He is... The elite of the elite, Roger Tuovasa-Shek. I just like but he's seeing just playing, utilised or have He's playing in a side that just consistently shoots himself in the foot. Yeah. And again, I was concerned last year when he signed that extension. I looked at that and thought there's... How long has Steve Kearney been in New Zealand for? He's the longest tenured coach apparently now, I think. But... He's another one that's got to be looking down the barrel. Because they're... they're... Well, I think they're, they have not become recruitment any more, more consistent. Like, well, they were last year; they made the finals for one year. But the thing I think here was recruitment. They went out the back door, and the board have more say over what's going on. And I'm pretty sure when Johnson walked in and said they wanted another million dollar deal, and they said no, you'll play and we'll talk during the year, which I couldn't blame them. I wouldn't give them a million dollars straight up either with his form. After that, they basically just said we want to leave, and they let him go. So I don't think a big part of that was Kearney's decision. I think the club. And the powers that be above him basically said, well, he's going. He'd be rubber stamping it, but he'd be giving his I don't think he's got that much control at the Warriors. I don't think he's got much control, but you can't tell me that if he said, I want to keep him, that they would have just said, no, stiff shit, the way you go. Well, with the amount of money that he wanted and him coming in saying, I want to go, I don't think he had a whole lot to do Hmm. at the end of the day. No, I understand that, but I think it probably, the truth probably falls somewhere in the middle. I'm sure he did want him to stay, and I'm sure he agreed with the club's stance on the money, but whether he went in and said, I'd pay him a million dollars, that's not his decision. We don't know that. That's what I'm saying. The truth probably lands somewhere in the middle. I, I don't know where the truth lands, but their performances have been poor. Well, end Very of the day, true. Cowboys gritty the last couple of weeks, showing some good signs considering the rough start of the year for them. Nanny McDonald's leg break, obviously felt hasn't even been on the field yet. Losing Bar before the season kicked off. Tamalolo, the key piece of their forward pack. But Michael Morgan... Um, I don't think he's been as bad as what everyone's saying considering what's going on around him. He was kicking game the other night. was exceptional. Josh McGuire on his 200th. He was brilliant. 220 metres, 42 tackles, gritty as all hell. Uh, It was was a much better effort from the Cowboys. And to go over there after a couple of tough losses where they just spilt everything on the table, uh, I thought they did a really good job. And Jordan McLean, again, 
had one of his better games throwing his hand up there. So good result for the Cowboys there to break their losing streak. Dragons Manly, 12-10. This was a grind. This was actually a great game. I really did enjoy this game. Obviously, soured by the ending, but Manly, again, I thought their goal on D was exceptional. Very, very resilient. I think the Dragons, the same deal. For the first half, for a portion of time there, Manly were going at them. They had them parked down there, and Dragons did vice versa. Then both teams just refused to budge, and I thought they threw plenty at, at each other. Uh, just, yeah, I guess the controversy at the back end of the game is the big thing that left everyone in the sour Not really. taste. I don't, I don't think so. That, that's... I didn't leave the game with a sour taste in my mouth at all. Manly had plenty of chances to win that game. I thought the Dragons turned the screws on Manly for that last 25 minutes. They were kicking and chasing and kicking and chasing and pinning them in the corner and belting the shit out of them. Manly was so resilient. Uh, and the, I thought the try that the Dragons scored wasn't wasn't flash and, and you know, it was an ugly try. But I thought they deserved the try because they just they put in so much work to grind away and grind away and grind away and finally. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. They got a result. No doubt that they got the call wrong at the end of the game. That Manly should have had a conversion to, to go to Golden Point. That didn't happen. However, Manly had 79 minutes prior to that to win that game. I think the game was decided by the players. It wasn't decided by the referees. Was that call wrong? Yes, but we've been over that. Um, I, I just thought it was a really, really tough game. Manly, their goal on defence, and I don't think they're employing a WrestleMania tactic. I just think they, they are defending with very clear... Uh, I guess, goals, and they've got very clear job job descriptions around what they need to do in goal line defence. And at the moment, I think they're probably the best goal line defensive team in the competition. That's that's what I would say. They conceded only 12 points. I think their problem at the moment is generating points. Tommy T not being there is hurting them in that regard. Uh, Daily Cherry Evans, I think, is doing as much as he possibly can. LG's still limited. It's a hard partner. LG's a borderline first grader. He wasn't great at the Titans. He hasn't been great at the, the Sea Eagles. But he deserves some time there. Yeah, he, Des, Des Hasler, he's an, an interesting coach. He's a little bit different. So I expect well, Kane LG to improve. Give. They don't have anyone yeah. else. So. That's an area, though, that we, you know, I remember saying when Dylan Walker went to six, I thought that was the, the really, really poor signing. They, the day they let Blake Green walk out of that joint and not replace him, and until they do replace him with someone of uh, some standing as a half, I think I think they're gonna struggle manly. But well I think their biggest gripe was in that situation they thought they had Mitchell Pierce across the line until Mitchell Pierce's mm. manager caught wind of the salary cap scandal and it was like Green was out the door, gone, think we're getting him, then that fell over. And mm. since then Yeah, yeah whatever argument you want to make, I just think Manly I think are playing above their ability. I I, I, well, you know, I really expected them to struggle this year. Well, and now the way they're playing right now, I think they're gonna push for a top eight spot. I think they will too. But as we said at the start, my, my thing wasn't even so much talent. I think within their starting third and also they've got exceptionally talented footballers. The question is depth and getting through. With the Trebojevic's, Adam Fanua Blake, Tapau, Thompson, Cherry Evans, like they've got plenty of good players in their side, but we've seen an underachieving nature the last few years and then the struggle as soon as they had injuries. But I think 
the, the back line that we had questions over has slowly grown. Garrick's doing a pretty good job. Sully's playing better than I expected him to, even though that discipline issue the other week. Brad Park is better than I expected him to be also. Elliot, he's been a journeyman, but he's doing a job for him right now. And I think a lot of this comes back to what we said before about coaching in some situations. And Des has clearly brought back some grit and some real attitude to that club. Um, Corey Waddell, one that we both liked when he was here at Penrith, couldn't get a run. He was exceptional on the weekend as well. He was outstanding. And he's off contract, so I'm sure they'll be looking to hit, lock him up. And if not, if I'm another club that needs forward depth or I need players in my side, he's a bloke I'm looking at. He's a real talented young forward. He had a great game. Cherry Evans was pretty good again. Uh, Jake, as you I'd always is. I'd know, Penrith fans, would you rather Corey Waddell playing for you or Corey Harawira and Ira than some of the guys that Penrith have got there at the moment? Because well, I don't know whether... I think defensively, Harawira and Ira still worries me. Still misses too many. But I've let these two young kids walk out the door. I think Waddell's one that slipped under the cracks yeah. and just kind of been brushed past. He's making every post a winner there. And I I look at him just because the attitude of the bloke that he can play middle or an edge and he's big enough and he's mobile enough to do either job. But he had 166 metres off the bench on the weekend and assist the line. He was out of control. Hmm. Um, I think playing, he's... Playing like really, really well and didn't get much of a crack here at... And this, this, this is the other thing that Des is doing well is getting value out of a couple of guys. Jack Azuski, who had a couple of games last year, he's getting value out of blokes you would have expected him to get value out of. That's a sign of a good coach. So clearly he's done a good job to start things back off. Dragons, Benny Hunt, after Norman had his two weeks in the sun, Hunt's come to the fore at the right time. He's had two really, really good weeks. He kicked well, controlled that game. He was excellent. Nah, I thought Vaughan again led but from offensively, the front. offensively, there's still questions on still Hasler. Questions on Hasley, yeah, but they still need to make some trouble. They, they need to keep their, they don't have, their spine they don't on the field. Have the, they don't have the players there at the moment for us to put, really put the burner on him. But no. there's going to be some questions if if you know their their offensive form continues. Well, we're not really going to know until next year, and if they get time to make any moves or make any adjustments, mm-hmm. I guess he's kind of taken this over in the situation that it is what it is. But uh, I think McInnes again fairly underrated, played a good game. Vaughan Hunt was excellent. Uh, just a really enjoyable game by the ending. Obviously, where people. Weren't too happy or left with a bit of a sour taste. But I tell you what, Timmy Lafayette needs to work on that goal kicking. Because a lot of people are saying, well, Lomax has to go into the side, but where do you fit it? Your wingers are doing a good job in yardage it. and finishing. And then your centers are playing very well. Like, I think Lafayette has been the strike weapon so far as far as attack's concerned. He does throw a dumb offload every now and then. But you can't throw the baby out with a bathwater just to squeeze a goal kicker in your side. So either he needs to work on his goal kicking or continue to work on it, which I'm sure he's doing during the week, or somebody needs to take that role. I know Lomax is a better goal kicker, but... Even, you're going to work someone in the side. Well, the call deserve to be in the, the side. call even for Aiken to be out, like the way he's played so far. The criticism was defensive on that other edge, but the one game that Lomax played or the couple of trials he played in the centres on the wing, he struggled to start the year. So I'm all for junior talent being promoted, but clearly they're not comfortable with him coming in right now and the way they're playing. Yeah. And is he a, is he a 90 percent goal kicker? No, you can't make that so change. So. You don't you don't force him in there just for goal kicking. Yeah. I read that the other day straight away. The mate forced a reshuffle with Aitken to play back. If he's Hazamel Masri, then yeah, you, you're always going to find a spot for him. But unless he's not, you, whoever's there need to be able to do the job. And you, you've just should, won. Every team should have four or five goal kickers. Shouldn't just be the one bloke goal kicking. Because what happens if he breaks his leg? And you're in a grand final. What are you going to do? Oh shit, we don't have well, a, we don't have we don't have a kicker. Benny Hunt, Preparation. Benny Hunt used to do some kicking in the juniors. I don't know if he still does much more, but. Should be. They he's should have another a stack one. of them there doing Corey Norman did some goal kicking at Parramatta. I was surprised he's another one that hasn't been considered, but they've got a couple of guys they could definitely use. They need to sort it. So that needs to be fixed. But moving on, Titans-Newcastle. Great win for the Titans, 38-14. Uh, two desperate sides with one win to their name coming in this one, but it only looked like one side was truly desperate, which is the sad part about this side of things from the Newcastle side. 
the errors, the energy, the intent, it was basically non-existent. At 22-0 at halftime, in particular, the two errors that led to tries directly off the back of it where there was just zero chase or any scramble. Um, seriously concerning. But for the Titans, full praise. Proctor pulls out before the game. AJ Brimson's out injured. Ash Taylor was under a cloud again. And to be honest, I thought he had a Barry Crocker and that Tyron Roberts deserves plenty of praise. And then they lost Ryan James during the game with an ACL. There couldn't have been any more on the line for the Newcastle players to step up and get a win and get things back on track, but they just they couldn't do it. And even in the second half, when they got a run of possession and they started to cut your blokes apart a little bit and roll upfield, they had opportunities and they couldn't take them. It's because the Titans took the foot off the pedal. I know they took the foot off the pedal, but I'm just giving them a wrap even in that situation there. They couldn't get the job done. And then when the Titans finally turned possession again and got themselves back on board, they blew them apart. The Knights look like a New South Wales Cup side. That's what I'd say. The Titans are playing borderline like a New South Wales Cup side. And they made the Titans look like superstars. I, I don't know what to make of this result. I, I've said it all earlier, but it was a random there's, some, there's some huge concern over Newcastle because I don't think... I thought the Titans were better against South and I thought they were better against Penrith than what they were in this game. And they, they racked up 38 points. 38 points and did it easily. So uh, huge concerns. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree on that one. On the Titans side of things, very gritty performance considering the changes. Thought Jai Arrow was exceptional again. Uh, Peachy, one of his better games this year, slowly starting to turn things around, hopefully for yeah, him. You're right on what you said about Ash Taylor. Ash Taylor was diabolical. Yeah, mate, t- Tyron Roberts. You've got a million-dollar player. This is the other thing for Newcastle. You've got a million-dollar player who played like he wasn't there. The Titans essentially played with 12. And Tyron Roberts, everything was coming off Tyron Roberts, and he still sh- couldn't shut it down. Because there was nothing coming out of nine. There was nothing coming out of out of a seven. Michael Gordon had a solid game, but he's in his last year of rugby league. And then you've got Tyron Roberts, a guy that's come back from England that's just chopped you to pieces. And and a Ford pack that had to play well over and above their normal allocation of minutes, who ran all over your all star Ford pack, your recruited Ford pack. Diabolical. I'd be worried if I was a Newcastle fan. Very worried. I'm pretty sure they are worried. And even with Ponga having a decent game uh, and his contribution, that's not enough. You need more than one player. And yeah. even Pierce, I know people are a lot of frustrated with Pierce, and he's one of the ones they're pointing to for supposedly what's happening off the field. I don't think he's been so awful. I think he's been on the ball and trying plenty. But again, it all starts in the pack. And It's just like at the moment, it's throw the ball to Ponga, do something. Oh, shit, he didn't yeah. do anything. Okay, so what are we going to do now? They, they don't look organised. No. Nah. And they still haven't settled on the spine, which you've said a lot of you. If you're going to shuffle bits in your spine, you're going to have to expect that things are going to be clunky week to week. You need to settle on that. So a decision clearly still hasn't been made there. It needs to be made very, very soon. But full credit goes to the Titans. Uh, Brian Kelly is one that I liked at Manly, but I think he's still got the same problem. Defensively, he's got to fix that. He's got some poor misses. He's prone to let some points in, but it's lucky he's scoring him because uh, at the moment you're willing to cop what he lets in for what he scores, that's for sure. Mm. But still a great young talent. Um, good resilience shown by them given uh, the, the mountain that climb with players getting injured during the game and before the game and it's been confirmed today that Ryan James is out for the season with that ACL injury. Yeah, that's going to hurt. So that definitely hurts the forward stocks. Raiders-Broncos 26-22, uh, closer game than I kind of expected, to be honest. I didn't expect a blowout, but I kind of thought Canberra in Canberra daytime football, given the way things are going for the Broncos, that they'd win that game uh, or at least control that game for the most part. And uh, I thought it was pretty much a bit of a grind. Some of the younger Broncos, in particular Payne Haas, again, playing a full game in the front row as a 19-year-old, that was ridiculous that he'd done that. I, 
He's a, he's a great talent. That, that's yeah. The Roberts on the bench, I thought was strange. If Boyd was injured, like we talked about before, get him off. But I think the bigger issue here for the Broncos was that first up contact. There was some situations there where they should have shut some plays down. Bateman getting that easy crash over trial late in the game. The offload from Bateman again that led to Leilua. Leilua destroying three or four blokes to crash over. Like, things like that need to be stopped. There are two or three tries that should have never happened, or at least if you lose a ruck and a play the ball comes off it, you should give you chance, give yourself a chance to reset and stop the play. But those three moments in particular for me defensively were very, very poor from a young forward pack to me that just got outdone by a grittier, more experienced veteran pack. I still think they're doing a pretty good job. Papali, since he's moved to the middle with Louis, good start. Soliola comes on afterwards, maintains a rage. Sutton, I didn't know much about. I think he's growing into his role. He's starting to get more minutes. Bateman has obviously been brilliant. Um, there's a lot to like about what Canberra are doing. Talk about Caesar come back, and I said I've said every other week before. What's he done? Why he's been at Cameron? Why would you make a change? They, if they Williams absolute is, madness to make yeah, a change. If Williams is steering you around, kicking, and just been hiding in the background, doing the right things, which he is, leave it. It's not broken. Don't fix it. White and clearly makes a difference to them defensively on the edge, and he's tightened that up big time. The kicking game's got to get better. He's kicked four or five out in the full on the weekend. I think he got lucky with one that he almost kicked out again, which ended up turning to a four to twenty, which was poor by Azarko. Not to be aware, but I will give him plenty of raps as far as what he's doing defensively on that edge and tightening things up. And I think in attack, he's growing as well. So there's really good signs there for Canberra. There really, really is. But I think for Brisbane, the disappointing part, again, is getting yourself back into this game with those two tries early in the second half, that that break followed by Fafita stripping the numbers on the edge and then the beautiful kick by Milford for Oates. And as soon as they seem to have got themselves back in front and needed to get in the arm wrestle and cycle a bit, uh, two pretty average tries, in particular Bateman crash over. The, the one that come off the head of Whiten is one you can't really help. That was a bit of a mess, but um, just another one of those, what what could have been, I guess, as far as an 80 minutes is concerned. Brisbane just look like they don't know how to win. They, they, they're in every game, and they're not playing great footy, and then they get themselves in a position. They, they went ahead, obviously, with a score uh, to Gillette, and then from there they panicked, made errors, uh, even managed to score a try and have a couple of cracks at Canberra late. To, to win the game or at least draw the game, but uh, they're just a work in progress. They're going to get, they're eventually going to crack it for a win, and from there, I expect them to really take off. But at the moment, the battle is getting that win. Yeah, no disagreement there. Back five was great. Bateman, Leilua, Hodgson's just been controlling things. Charles has been exceptional from the back. He's been great boy. Like I said, when you sit behind Roger, two of us, Sheck, Fussy, two of Marmola, the wings and the fullbacks, but in particular, Sheck, because he's a fullback. Um, I'd watched him in cup for a couple of years and couldn't have wrapped him anymore. Was waiting for someone to take a, a gamble or make a move on him. For Canberra, this just kind of fell in their lap and it's worked out. Yeah, look, a, lot, a lot's been made of Canberra's defence, but it's we also need to highlight the fact that if the fact that they're playing a lot better and with more discipline offensively is putting them under less pressure yeah, defensively. They're holding so they, the ball, it goes, it goes hand in hand. So a lot of people that want to, you know, and give them a rap for their defence and do that because they deserve a rap for their defence. However, they also deserve a rap for their discipline mm. and their ability just to tuck that ball under their arm when they last year they might have flicked it out their ass, or just to take a hard carry, get to the forty and kick like they are at the moment, rather than you know, trying to go to an edge and have a shot in their own end and yeah. dropping the ball or running over the sideline or kicking the ball out on the full or putting in a little shit chip kick. Dumb offloads, play one too. Yeah, like I think the discipline around their football and that word you used earlier is perfect, grit. Just, just okay, we're going to take the gritty option. We're yeah. just going to kick to the corner and chase because that's, that's what we know is going to keep us in this game yeah. and that's what the opposition doesn't want us to do. And too often 
Canberra in years gone by have done the things that the opposition would love them to do. Yeah. At the moment, they're doing the things that the opposition do not want them to do, and that's why they're getting such good results. Well, they've tried to flash themselves out of a, a situation yeah, rather than get involved in the arm wrestle, whereas now you're seeing that it's doing the dirty stuff and that those moments are naturally happening, like the offload from Bateman to Leilua for that trial, him just barging over a couple of blokes inside 20 or... The, the play, the first play inside yardage, or oh, good ball, sorry, when Kotrick or oh, Croker slipped in between two defenders and threw that cracker offload. They have those moments in them. They're a quality football side attacking wise. Yeah, and inside 30 or inside yeah. 20, you, you say to them, boys, do whatever like you want. Go nuts. Yeah. Like build pressure, obviously, but if a pass is on and you think you can score a try, then do it. Yeah. Uh, the Brisbane side of things, again, Pangai Jr., Lodge, not sure about that throat injury. It may be back next week, but I'm sure they'll be happy to get both those guys back in. Considering the youth in that forward pack and to bring a bit more experience, I still think there needs to be a change in the spine. Uh, people are calling about McCulloch. I don't know exactly what you're expecting them to do there. There's no one else there as far as hooking options are concerned. Uh, unless you've got to put Nicker as a bench interchange and swap them too. But as far as the fullback or half situation goes at this point in time, if Boyd is out and they're worried about covering the halves and you leave Milford there and move Osako, they've got Shibasaki and a couple of guys they can put on the wing. But if not, I'd be moving Milford to fullback and putting Darius at six to try and change something because something's got to give. Mm-hmm. Something's got to change very, very soon. Um, yeah. And the last game of the round we've got here doesn't need a whole lot of explanation, but 51 to six, the Eels over the Tigers. I think the scarier part probably to come out of this is you've got Brisbane, or sorry, the Tigers who have been so gritty in a couple of games and defended and held the ball and just done all the little things right, and then they've had a couple of oopsie moments in, in close games with the Bulldogs where they refused to hold the football and the Penrith with a goal kick and cost them. And then to go from the Broncos game where they were so gritty for the whole game and did exactly what we talked about, like a Raiders effort where they just defended and held on and run to the pump and waited for their opportunities and took their moments. Yesterday they were just awful. I they were I blowing off the park. They were retreating before tackles were made through the middle, and that, that's probably the scarier part for me. Most tries come off a ruck or isolating someone on edge of this, but to be blatantly just shredded through your middle like they were yesterday was it was abhorrent. It was disgusting. The two taps by Gutherson where he got tip-ons and they played straight through him off the seven-tackle sets. Like full credit to him to be alert and aware, but for their middle defense um, to be pulled apart so badly, the few times they had fifth-tackle options, they come up with five or six seven-tackle sets. I think Reynolds in particular had a couple of really bad ones. They picked on him on an edge. And probably what summed it up really for me in the first half when they got absolutely shredded was the try where the loose ball hit the ground and Michael Jennings cut back across the grain and beat like five blokes. That's just, again, your middle's not tying in. The edge had come up, but everyone in the middle had just stopped moving and he found himself, you know, easy passage to step through four blokes and get right back near the post. Yeah, the Tigers were always short on their right edge, Parramatta's left edge, and they just kept rushing up and rushing up and rushing up. I said to the guy... Um, who I went to the game with. The Parramatta just need to keep going there because they're going to get some love. And then a couple of sets later, Jennings scored. They, they actually bombed a couple down that edge, Parramatta. I, I don't know what to make of the West Tigers' performance yesterday. They go from doing what they did against Brisbane. And look, I thought a lot of what happened to the West Tigers that night was Brisbane um, unravelling rather than their good work. But you need to be in a position to win the game and they, they won it. But... I have massive concerns over what happened yesterday, but Michael McGuire didn't seem too concerned on 360 last night. He just sort of said, you know, look, we're going to be consistent, we're going to get back, and um, from there, just get better. So I, it's only six rounds in. I think they're probably in a position. What are they, the Tigers? Are they three and three? Three and three. Three and three. So, look, if they go three and three for 
you know, the next 18 games, I'll be there and around the eight. Um, maybe it'd just be interesting to see where they go from here. Yeah, I can't disagree with you there, that's for sure. Uh, we'll get into some fan questions now, Boxhead. Been a long show, this one. Plenty of content, that's for sure. So no one can be disappointed with that after the long weekend. But Doghouse O'Reilly, can we up get an update on Cousin Gary's state of mind after each Newcastle game, please? Well, he hasn't been cited or heard of for a long time, old Cousin Gary. No. I'm not too I'm sure. I'm not sure I want to poke the bear because they got flogged by my Titans, so... Yeah, we'll just, we'll just leave him be. But I'm sure wherever he is right now, he's not happy. That's yeah. for sure. We can confirm that 100%. David White said, boys, some homework if you haven't discussed this before. Who is the best player your dad saw play and the best player your pop saw play? Also, sausage and bread at Bunnings or a hot dog after the game at footy? Oh, neither. Ugh. I don't really go to Bunnings, to be honest. I couldn't tell you. I, used to I go be... to Bunnings all the time and I've never had a sausage from Bunnings. I, don't... I just don't, don't trust other people cooking sausages. <laughs> I don't. I don't want it. The last thing you I want to eat is dodgy issues. meat. You have trust issues in general. Well, do- dodgy meat that isn't cooked. Yeah. Well, on the on the side of who our pop or our dad saw play, again, that's something we'd have to ask. Dad, dad is Brad Clyde. I would say dad would have Brad Clyde very high. Um, our pop, mum's pop, uh, Mick Cronin. I know that for a fact. Oh, there you go. From uh, dad's dad, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what Mike would say, but uh, he, they all love rugby league. That's where we obviously got our background but the it's, one it's thing, good having all of our pops and all of our uncles and dads and I think we've said it before that people ask how we end up watching the teams that we did well no one really supports a team they just enjoy football mm. I think we've just kind of cotton on to our own kind of pathways along the way but yeah Dan the Sportress says I'm wondering if you could break down the Raiders defence and how it's changed since last year I get fitness and personnel are a big part but what structural changes have you seen I think their contact's a lot better they're not they're missing less tackles which means yeah. that there's not as much threat and they're not as short on the edges last year it doesn't matter what system you're playing defensively, as long as everyone is following it. But it's also, like you're saying, it's an attitude and it's an intent. Defense is something you've got to want to do or you've got to buy into. If you don't buy into defense, you can do as much structure, technique, and talk and work through things as much as you want. At the end of the day, you've got to want to whack blokes. You've got to want to win your rucks. If you eat up that side of the game, it just makes attack so much better. And I'm sure you've been through it. I know I've been through it. I've played in teams where we're awful defensively and blokes didn't want to get the job done and... It was constantly a struggle, and then you lack energy when you get the ball back, which is something the Raiders did last year. Every time they got on defense, it seemed to be a chore, and every time they got the football back at times, if they got into a cycle, they'd struggle in their attack on the backside of it, which led to errors. Now they're embracing that shit. That, that's the base of everything they do. They're whacking up. They've got good line speed. They've got great intent. They're winning their rucks. They're getting numbers in. Their edge decisions are much more aggressive and better than they used to be. They've got more intent inside 20 moving off their line. The only blip on their radar was the Melbourne game down that left edge. And even then... One of those was a quick ruck. I think another one was a kick. They weren't like they used to be, where it was Raiders coming up, holding and getting beaten on their inside shoulders, just getting beaten flat out. Their intent and energy full stop and their attitude just to their defense all around is superb. And it's that simple. It can't be one player or two players. Defense is a team thing and it's an attitude thing. Mm. And they're all buying in right now. Correct. 100%. Uh, Emmanuel Iran says at Panthers only Cleary, Fisher, Harrison, Kickow are worth keeping. The rest are average at best. Not surprising their performances so far. What do you think? Well, I think you've had enough of what we think about it. That's for sure. But something's got to change. Something's got to change real soon. Those guys are all playing good football, but uh, other guys got to step up. Simple they need a style. They need to work out a style that complements everyone, not just you know the, the edge players or the centers or the fullback. At the moment, they just their style doesn't look complementary to the players they've got. No. Uh, Jimbo says, what's Buzz's obsession with Penrith? Well, 
I, he I, doesn't like Phil Gould, well, mate. I think they. He's mend- had a long running battle with him, Lewis. Well, they mended the bridge for a bit, and he did a couple of interviews, and then I think. But they, Gus still doesn't like me. I mate. know, but I think they got offside again, so I think he's back on the bandwagon of going after him. It'd be bit, very mate. interesting if Buzz, if if Gus got a job at Cronulla, oh, and Buzz oh. is a number one ticket holder Could you for Cronulla. You know, mate, I pay my wage, I sit with the fans, I pay my season membership every year. Buzz. Yeah. There's, a, there's a couple of those. I'm not going to answer all of them, but we've got one here. The Buckstar, I know he's a Newcastle diehard. Is he says, is there something rotten at the core up at Newcastle or has Nathan Brown lost the dressing room? The players are throwing under the bus at the moment with fundamental errors and a lack of enthusiasm. Something's wrong. And again, uh, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I wanted to look earlier. Apparently, Brown came out to address the media speculation or scrutiny yesterday about their partying culture. So I'm assuming he would have came out and said that it's not true and they've had a good off-season. I'm not sure. Not. But I haven't seen it. So. Jared Mullen almost OD'd at one of those parties. Oh, uh, I would like to see that video after we finish and this. They, uh, didn't they have... There was... I don't know who said it yesterday. I overheard that they... Mitchell Pearce and Ponga had a joint party a day after they got beat by the Cowboys or they got beat by someone. One of their games, apparently. And had, they had a big piss-up. So... I don't know. The players are entitled. Also, players are entitled to go and have a drink yeah. and Do live your job, life. And, yeah, get that. And that's why that's why the speculation is going to be there. If they were winning, there wouldn't be this criticism if they were having parties or doing whatever. It, you know, the microphone glass goes down when your performances aren't there. And the performances never, have never been there in, in Brown's tenure. That's my point. Anyway. Point Dexter. So, did the Broncos hire Laurie Daly as their kicking coach without telling anyone? Milford's bomb and hope kicking game looks very familiar. A lot of sides are doing it at the moment. I think it's yeah, it's just that tactic. Melbourne and the Roosters did it when they were cycling. They were both doing it on Friday night, just, just bombing and chasing and bombing. It's because of this fear of the seven tackle set. They need to fuck the seven tackle set off. And it's the set starts as well. They want can to get someone. Can you blame teams for doing that? Yeah. Because they go, well, we can just pin them inside twenty rather than even risking the ball going dead and having them come out to twenty with seven tackles. Yeah, and set starts. People want to put people in a corner, ten out, standing flat, get down there, whack them, and try and kill the first couple of plays. So everybody now, when they're on that forty or fifty. They try and put that same kick in and plant a team inside the 10 or 20 in the corner and make them work it out because mm. it makes the first three plays pretty easy and predictable to defend. James Hughes wants to know if the Queensland spine was picked tomorrow, who is our spine? Well, I think it will be... I don't know, Ponger, Ponger at the back, Munster, Munster at six, Cherry Evans. And, and then Hunt at nine. I think they'd pick Hunt. I'd like to see Friend, but after the time he's missed now, I think they'll definitely go Hunt. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing Friend either. Well, I yeah, think and then Friend's you could play form... Hunt as your utility and what play Morgan as a centre. Well, at this point in time, the centres are going to have to be Chambers and Gagai if they don't put Morgan in. But if they want to play Morgan off the bench or Hunt, I think they're at the point where because they're a bit thin in the back line, they might make that move. Is of... Ponga playing well enough to be starting fullback? I think he is. Okay. The game's at six. I think he shouldn't have been allowed to play at six since he's been at fullback the last couple of weeks. I think he's had plenty of effect yeah, on the result. they're making shitload of errors, so he's and not really been able to get into a game. Munster's... No, I'm thinking Holmes Morgan. is gone. Nah, I wouldn't play Morgan at fullback. I think I think they're looking at the perspective now. No, but now. Well, even if you played Munster there and played Morgan at six, they've got, they've got plenty of Well, options. the big one with the wings and the backline depth has been hurt. I think Oates will get a spot. But if Nene McDonald was healthy with his yardage game, felt healthy after losing Inglis and a couple of guys they have, they're a bit thin there. I read out some of those names last week that are available. Most of them are borderline first graders, let alone origin players, but I think best case scenario is get your best players in the team. If yeah, Friend was playing good football and they wanted to play him at nine, I think they would pick Hunt as the 14 and they would pick Morgan as a centre instead of picking one of these other guys and maybe push Gagai to a wing to patch that up because you know how good he's been at origin playing off the wing in yardage, which gives you him and Oates to start your sets off. 
Yeah. Chambers, it's been questionable his defence there, but they've got no one else to try and defend Latrell, so they're going to have to just fix it up full stop. Their forward pack, I think they're lacking front rows as well. Look, I've got no sympathy for... Oh, after the, the decade or so, no. Definitely no sympathy. You go, go through, uh, you're going through a little bit of what we've been through for 10 years. There's going to be some options there that they're going to have to go through, but I think they're just going to try and squeeze their best players in full stop. And I think Morgan Hunt, if Friend gets back and plays some good football, like he started off with at the back end of last year and this year, yeah, I think it's definitely, they're going to try and get them all in there. Jeff says, hi, can you bring back the buzz regu- uh, impersonation more <laughs> regularly? Well, good well Lewis, I've got Nathan Brown getting sacked before round 10, okay? Well, He's lost the dressing room and blocker. I've had enough. All I can say, mate, on a different note, is the Sharks were absolutely outstanding. The young talent we've got at the club, the only concern I've got, is though they've paid money to guys like Josh Dugan and they've got off contract players in Bronson Sherry and Will Kennedy who need to stay at the club. But I went to the Bank up. West yesterday, mate, and I took my notepad with me <laughs> and I went around. I just looked, you know, I walked around to the different places. You know, you can get a beer for seven dollars twenty. You can cricket. get a pie for four ninety. Kenty, come on. The I went cricket. to the cricket. It cost me $150 to get a pie and a beer. $12 for a beer. Fuck, that is steep. That is that's steep. true. And it's bloody watered down. You know that. No way. Yeah. Yesterday they had, they had Heineken 3, which is mid-strength Heineken. Um, and that was, what was that? That was 7 bucks. That's not too bad. Yeah. Rachel Orley has here the Gus fiasco at Penrith devastated is an understatement. Ah, uh, he's done a good job. He's he's left Penrith in a far, 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 far oh. better position than yeah. what he found them. Look, it's not the way it would have. I would have liked to have seen it, it finish. He should have been given a bloody parade through Penrith for what he's done for the club. Um, but I think this is what happens in big business, and this is what happens in rugby league. It is oh. it is a circus. I think full credit to you as a fan of the Panthers though to understand the work that he's done because I think a lot of people have thrown stones or kicked from what's happened and I, I myself and we both admit on the coaching side of things I do think he meddled I've happily admitted that and I think it did hold him back a little bit but everything else he's done for the club needs to be acknowledged and I don't think enough people do acknowledge it and they blame him for everything that's happened which is not true yes I don't agree with what happened with the Griffin situation or the first time with uh, Ivan but as far as what he's done for the club financially with the juniors with the centre of excellence in all facets they would not be where they are right now with the whole kick caboodle setup staff pathways without Gus Gould. So devastated. Um, yep, I completely understand that. But given the spot they've got to with his job and who's on board uh, and Matt Cameron being the jam of football, I still think there's plenty of capable people in good positions at the club. I think it's more what you said before, bro. The roles realistically now with the coach and the, the people they've got in uh, is somewhat redundant. I think the big thing in moving forward and the proof will be in the pudding is if the players keep coming through on the salary cap management, the talent stays that way when we clearly realise there's capable people running the club. I think the one thing that's been underrated in his time there is the salary cap management and roster decisions as well yeah. while he was in control. He did a real good job of that. But that's the part of he's obviously lost control with Ivan being back. So, yeah. Hayden Ward, why do the Warriors never get it together? Mate, that's the age-old question that I don't think anyone's going to solve. We're just two schmucks who love rugby league and have a little bit to do with it. I don't think we're going to answer that if no coach could answer it, that's for sure. There's been some good coaches go through the place. I haven't been one of them. He got into a grand final, but a year later, uh, not much better. Daniel Anderson got into a grand final, then it fell off a cliff. There's been all sorts of people go through that Bermuda Triangle, and I'm sure they can't work that one out either. There's been theories that it's their junior development, that their players over there, the really talented ones, don't have to play as hard at competitions as we do over here with our 16s and 18s, and that hinders their development. 
because they get a bit of a cakewalk through the first grade and then it gets a bit tougher. Uh, there's, there's been plenty of theories that have been thrown up, but yeah, I don't think anyone can really answer that one. Half Cab Sav says, in case you missed my earlier tweet, I'd love to hear what your two or three biggest issues for Newcastle are at the moment and what the coaching staff can do to address them within context of the current roster. Do you really want to hear me go on again? I think we've gone through enough as far as issues. I think effort and intent, all the things you talked about before, like there's, there's simple fundamental things that just need to be there from players when that's your job to come on the field. You didn't see them on the weekend. Defensively, they were poor. In attack, they were one out. They've got no push. They've got no energy. They didn't scramble to cover up for those errors. It's just just a complete lack of... It almost looks like they're already out of the finals or that they look like a team that was already at the back end of the year planning for a trip at the moment. Mm. There's a... Yeah. There's lots of things that need to be addressed, but again, I can't really put my finger on it. I hope something changes very soon because right now, things aren't looking too good. Chris Steffen says, with the Origin team, Dale Finneken surely has to get a run this year. The way he's going, how do you boys think Cam McInnes would do it in a utility role? Well, he can play hooker and he can play as a middle, but I think there's better utilities with more of this... More options as far as positions are to play. Dale Finucan, I definitely have him. No doubt about it. I think he'd have him in my tight rotation considering the players that have been injured or a couple of changes that'll happen. I think he'll be there too. Yeah, I don't want to talk too much about that. At this point in time, I just think a lot of things are going to change between now and then. And But, yeah, we'll see. We'll see who's fit and available. I think that's the biggest issue. We always sort of go, well, we're set on this and then you get a couple of injuries or whatever, so... Keep our powder dry on Origin. I, I can't wait for Origin, but you just know that a few different things are going to change over the next six weeks. Yep. Another one about Newcastle and turning it around. We can't really go into that, but I think the bigger point here that Robert was making is their team is unchanged, which we haven't looked at the lineups yet, after losing to the Titans and the Broncos have forced changes due to injury. So clearly they've gone unchanged again this week. Uh, yeah, I guess. Good culture up there. Have to see what happens, but... What what do you have? What changes need to be made? The players need to step up. Need well, to get the job done on the field. That's not exactly right. They should be made accountable for their shit performances. You can't keep getting picked. Well, I don't know their cup sides doing, but clearly things aren't going too well there. If they're not willing to make changes, but uh, who bloody knows what's going on? Wombat is Andrew McCulloch creative enough for today's style of footy? Great worker, but doesn't offer any point of difference in attack. I think what's changed for him is a guy that's played 200 and something games in a row before he had that ACL injury and obviously had the elbow injury, but he used to have a little bit of a dart out of his game, he had a little bit of acceleration at dummy half. I think he's more in that Robbie Farrell mold. Now that he's kind of lost that little bit of speed at a dummy half as an attacking threat, he doesn't really engage a markers, he doesn't get across the ad line, he doesn't really probe or poke his nose out. He's basically turned into what I'd call a Matt Ballon style hooker. He's just a dish and tackle kind of guy and they definitely need more creativity around the ruck at the moment and they're not getting it. Um, he's a great footballer. He's been solid for a long period of time. But, yeah, there's not a lot of other strings to his bow. He has a kick every now and then. But, yeah, I wouldn't say he's over the creative. That's for sure. I think Brock would agree. Yeah. I, I mean, like him, but... Oh, I do like him as a player. You know what you're going to get defensively. That's for sure. But in attack... Are we just off him for... Um, I think everyone's just origin? off. off because, oh, I don't know about origin. I wouldn't pick him for origin. But I think a lot of people just off him in general because of what happened last year, like you said. I think it's brought it to people's mind a bit more. When you've been through the media cycle, it seems to bring people to the forefront a bit more, I think, for discussion. I think prior to that, a lot of people didn't talk about him or didn't acknowledge him that much at all. Mm. He just went about his business. But um, Ebony Love says, referees dictating the matches more than ever. First two rounds, the piece stayed in the pocket. Now they're blowing it out in the first two minutes of the game. Frustrating for fans, let alone players. Not usually a ref basher, but I'm frustrated the last few weeks. Your thoughts? You go. I honestly don't think it's been too bad. That, that one game on the weekend really frustrated me. 
I'm of the opinion, is similar to what we said earlier. They're, they're trying to find that balance. I think refs between them, all the pairs, have still got different interpretations. Perinara compared to the interpretations in the Melbourne game and the penalties that happened there, compared to another game, it was vastly different across the board. I think they need to strip it right back. I think they need to have a look at where they were at the start of the year, where they are now, because the tactics employed by coaches and teams have changed. The refereeing needs to follow suit. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Smith asked why did it take so long for Gus to resign, which was your point earlier on, which I think you've covered. No, I don't think he should have resigned. Not resigned, I just but think I guess the they, situation. If, if he's coming back, and it, they should have worked it out internally, and he should have just stepped aside at the end of last year. He would have got a raucous applause and a lot of love. I think this is sad from Phil Gould's perspective. I think it's sad that he's not going to get the exit that he deserves and the credit he deserves. I hope he does in the media over the next few days. I hope it's not all about the row and the blue and the fact that Penrith are going so bad and it looks like he's been pushed and, you know, all that stuff which is going to be spoken about because their form isn't great. Well, I don't know if I think he, he deserves would... a lot of credit for what he's done. I think they should try to put something on, like you're saying, at the next home game or some form of home game and have a presentation and have something, whether he'd accept that or agree to that or whether that would come out. I'm sure if that was the case, they would try to acknowledge the fact they did try to get something like that happen. But I hope in the wash of things like you're saying, the next week or two, we do hear things along that line, whether he accepts it or declines it. The club says, we offered this, this and this, and we thank him for all he's done, and we wanted to have a presentation he's declined, or even him in his roles on Channel 9 or 100% footy, or his podcast, which is supposed to be out tomorrow. I don't know if that's going to be out tomorrow or not, but um, definitely I'm sure like most people, I'll be looking and listening to all those things and seeing what happens. But they should, the bloke should be bloody immortalised for what he's done out there. Mm. 100%. He's done an outstanding job with the club and helping it turn around. Travis McMahon asked similar again about the refs. How do you stop what they dished up against the Bulldogs? If they penalise too much, we all get the shits. If they put it away and the team takes advantage to slow down the ruck, when the refs penalise early, they naturally stop for fear of ruining the contest. I think, again, interpretation in that situation. If you've got to blow up 30 times, I don't care. If it's deserved, and I think in that game, it needed to happen. The quicker way around it is what I said. It was parked inside 20. Put someone in the bin. If you want to send a message, don't blow a million penalties and keep giving inside 20 cents. So into the sin bin, and when they're short a number by natural attrition, they're going to fatigue. They're not going to be able to keep laying on those rucks, and you're going to find points. And I, I really think that would have been the game breaker the other day. And it could have been done in the first half, early enough, before we went into halftime. It felt yeah, like we right. watched South there for 20 minutes, and nothing was done. If someone was binned right then and there, I think they would have grabbed two or three quick tries, and that game would have blown out. Yeah, I think I feel like I've answered that. I, I just think we need a whole rethink. Yeah. Mick Webb discuss how a full-strength Storm team at home with grand final revenge in their veins were down 20-0 to a team missing four or five walk-up starters. Scary stuff. Well, as I said, I think that was their best chance of beating the Roosters yeah. this year. And if the Roosters stay healthy with the squad and the depth they've built, like we said at the start there, they're a clear favourite to win the competition, 100%. Gav Bulls says, from a coaching point of view, can Lachlan Lewis play in the second row or lock in the near future? He can tackle well and has a big body, might be jumping the gun, but also for future fit with Avarillo coming through the grades and Brendan Wakeham, who are both a good pair of uh, young halves. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, I don't see him as a, a lock. But it depends on the way the game's going, potentially. There's a lot of talk now that we're moving back towards the ball playing lock or a creative lock. I still think a lot of the 13s, whether they're creative or not, are still guys that are playing 80 minutes like a Tom Travoyevich and good defensive players and extra middles. It's just that those few guys like him and Murray that have come into the game more recently do have that added element of skill or a bit of footwork. I still think they're extra tights, basically. Yeah. A lot of people are carrying on like the 5'8 
lock is back and they're getting no edges and ball playing and putting kicks in and being that guy. I still think they're basically middle players. They're just more skillful. There's only a handful of them. Not every club has one. Mm. That's for sure. Josh Maguire is still the prototypical lock. Dale Finucane's got a bit of a pass in his game, but he's still an extra middle. Most James Fitzgerald's playing that role for the Panthers. There's still a lot of clubs that have the prototypical third end that we talked about in more recent years, basically being an extra front row or an extra middle forward. Well, lots of questions. That was only just the Twitter stuff. So we move on onto Facebook here, if I can ever get it to load. Uh, I think there was one in the uh, the inbox from memory before I move on. From Martin Bajowski saying, a question for this week's pod. As a proud Englishman, it's good to see Bateman and Sutton going okay in Canberra. And do you think that their success uh, early for recruitment is that they were signed from Wigan, a side used to playing big games and closing out big games rather than skill as footy player? A much cheaper version of signing two players from either the Storm or the Roosters into your system, so maybe they're a great fit for Canberra, a side that came out of the other side of close games for the last two or three seasons but wouldn't have as much of an initial impact on other teams. So I guess looking at them being on the higher end in England and being successful players and being used to the bigger stage, could that have been a bit of a hidden reason why they're doing well? I just think they're quality players full stop. I didn't know as much about Sutton, but Bateman, Whitehead, these couple of guys that were playing internationals, if you're playing for your country, you've got to be a decent footballer. Mm. Um, coming out of the NRL is an adjustment, yes. Is Canberra a great spot for them to land? Yes, they're playing with fellow countrymen in a colder environment that's probably more suited to home, and they've got some familiar faces, and I think it's a real recruitment tool that clearly Canberra using to their advantage uh, right now, and it's working out great. I don't think they would have got Bateman, and he basically admitted that himself, that most English uh, people wouldn't move much further than their hometown if they had to. It's more of a comfort thing. But having those few Englishmen there now has made that difference for him to move. Yeah. But they're clearly quality players. I didn't know as much, like I said, about Sutton, but he's doing a pretty good job so far. So, yeah. Chris France, tripping in the game, do you think it should be an automatic sin bin? I think yes. it should be a send-off. It should be a sin bin, at least. Yeah. I think it used to be a send-off. And Matt Cherry says, what NRL clubs should Gutson look at signing? I think the Rabbitohs should throw some coin at him. He'd be suitable for their back line. Uh, again, I think we spoke about this the other week. It was in the paper this week for what we mentioned. They've got a young bloke named Joseph Sawali who is going to be eligible not next year but the year after. So they're not going to be spending big money on a fullback anytime soon. I nope. think they'll be having patch-up players for the time being. You don't well, sign a 16-year-old. Yeah. We, um, we uh, well, I ran into him this year in Harold Matthews. And yeah. Look, he, our, our teams were fairly evenly matched across the board, but yeah. he is a 20-point difference at that age group. And to put it into perspective, this kid was basically told by Rugby Union Australia who were trying to poach him that he'd be the youngest ever Wallaby if he signed right now. And well, he didn't there's rumours that he could go to the NBA. He's well, a very, he's a very, freak very handy basketballer as well. So but Minimum age is 18, so next year he's only 17. The year after, I don't know when his birthday is exactly, but I dare say that South, like I said the other day... That, that's if he plays all the way through. I'm still not convinced he's going to have a long career as an NRL player. If, if he got offered to go to a college... Play college basketball. If he wants to go that way, yeah. Well, that, like, I think he signed I'm, a four-year deal. What I'm saying is, I just, I'm just not convinced. Oh, I, I don't know, mate. I don't know. I'm just saying he signed a long-term deal. So for South, they've got him yeah. ready and waiting if he gets that far. But I don't think they're going to spend big money on that or a centre like I said about Roberts. I wouldn't spend the money. Burns, Gagai, Allen, Campbell, Graham. You've got this kid on the way. I'd want depth or another good player, but I'm not spending six hundred grand or I'm not going to spend eight hundred grand on somebody. I think they've got enough there. Mm-hmm. I'd want more depth in my outside backs. That's what I'd want. 
Uh, Haley and Greg Valentine, he's also one like you, saying thumbs up to Bankwest Stadium is exceptional, but thumbs down, it wasn't shown on free-to-air TV. Yeah. I'm lucky enough to have Foxtel, but a lot of people missed a wonderful spectacle. And again, uh, it's a fair point. You think they might have coordinated that with Channel 9 or Fox, given the occasion that it was. So everybody could have got on board and might have hooked a few more people in and wanted to go to the stadium sometime soon. Yeah. Probably a good idea. Uh, Matty Hunt, here he is, Passenger of the Week. I've got to be the Knights. My word, I've made a big mistake this year back in the show up and they continue to disappoint. Nathan Brown refuses to address their defence in any press conferences and two-star players are too busy organising joint birthday parties after games. If Joey Johns is so keen on getting rid of New South Wales teams, then why not start with this bunch of flops? What do you reckon? Oh, he's gone harder than I have. Good boy. Uh, bless you, Matt. I don't know where you were the first few, few weeks, but God bless you for coming back. He was just listening. He, I, he uh, might have thought that we'd just gone off his passenger. We've never gone off it. We I always read it, it out. Any, anyone it. who's got something. We had one the other week where someone brought up the, the worst hairstyle. I'm, I'm all for all sorts of suggestions. If you got something, Look, get on Matty, board. Well played, son. Good stuff. Joey Shembury, not exactly a set of six, but your team of the week, best positional players, and do you think the Warriors not winning will cost RTS a dally and medal? He's on fire. Well, that's a flaw that we've brought up for a long period of time. I don't think the Dalian should necessarily be judged basically only on who wins. Uh, it's cost votes to a lot of people in a long period of time. And I dare say the last few weeks in the games that Sheck's been in, he would have been the three or the two vote in almost every game. Um, he'd at least have eight to ten points, no doubt about it. Team of the week, oh, God, we watch enough football as it is that without having to sit down and come up with this around full-time jobs and other things. So I'm sorry, George, but... Uh, yeah, definitely can't give you a 1-13 to 13 exactly. But there were some good players this week, no doubt about it. Moses probably the best half this week. Shet would have been close to the best fullback again. Um, there were some great performances in many different positions. Bateman could have pushed one of the forward spots. Leilua is a centre. But yeah, that, that's a lot of effort week to week. Semi Bashford says, All right, lads, according to the NRL, the Raiders went from being the heaviest pack to the lightest this year. Although it's early days, the defence has seriously improved. Uh, is it the shift to the lighter pack or is it something we'll see sides move to in the future to combat fatigue owing to reduced interchanges or is the Raiders' improvement simply down to good recruitment, e.g. the Pommies, and the work rate in defence versus, say, a Boyd and a Paulo? Cheers, lads. It's hard to get NRL content in Ireland, even harder to get NRL intelligent content. So I enjoy listening, understand everything from grassroots to the executive level. Much appreciated, pal. Uh, I think a combination of... Change in the pack, and like we said, just a change in attitude. And they've obviously done a lot of work, full stop, on turning that around. It's been the blight in their game for so many years, and they're still a naturally talented attacking side. Truth, yeah. Andrew, can Bennett. I ask what what what's going on with our uh, posts? This is our set of six posts. It's not the questions post. This is the questions post. Is it a questions post? Yeah. I think a lot of people are posting on the set of six posts as well. Their questions. That is the questions. That's what I call it. Our set of six is our questions, and I call it their questions as well. That's always been the same. Fan questions. Right. I was a bit confused when I looked earlier, that's all. No. Nah. good. Play on. Andrew Bennett says, Your thoughts on Jack White at 5'8"? As a Raiders fan, my heart's in my mouth every time he gets the ball. Is it going to be a kick out in the full, a random run across field, or a rubbish pass, an attacking kick into a Falcon try assist, or God knows what? Should Sticky stick with him? George Williams can't get over here quick enough. Yeah, I don't like him at six. I think erratic in attack, which I agree with, and I brought up before. Uh, I think it was Blocker Roach suggesting he'd be in line for a possible run at New South Wales, which he should give himself a triple with Kiri and the other options yeah. we've got going and Cody Walker. Defensively, outstanding in the front line. I still think his best spot is centre, not so much 5'8", but 
Uh, in attack, yeah, it's you don't know what you're going to get. He clearly is a good runner of the football, but the fifth la- the fifth tackle option, which ended up being saved by Joey Lala, Lua bulldozing four blokes, was a bit random at the time. He has kicked four or five out in the full. He pulled the 40-20 off the other day, which I think was a bit fluky, but it's working for the time being, and they're persisting, and I think a lot of what's happening around him is helping. If this was the team last year with the way they played and all the extra pressure they put on themselves and he was playing six in that team, I think he'd be diabolical. But I think he's in a good That's environment. That's what I'm saying, Hillary. Oh. Got a big body 5 I always like big 5 It's like, nah, can't do it. He's not playing six. For Shut South your Wales. fucking mouth. I'm sorry. Shut your fucking mouth. Uh, what's he got here? He also thought the refs, oh, again, blowing unneeded penalties. Yeah, there's plenty of those ones. He's got some examples here. Do you agree? And what's driving the increase with the penalties? I think, well, plain and simple, players are starting to push the envelope again, so the penalties need to come back in to try and discourage them from trying to take advantage of everything and create WrestleMania again, as Brock would call it. Correct. I think that's a fair fair enough thing that the referees, have, they have to do it. If they don't address it, the players will just keep pushing the envelope. And the play the ball speeds that I talked about, uh, I think in that Dogs game, we're getting close up to the five-second mark as opposed to the Storm game where they're all down around the three-and-a-half mark, which is a significant difference in play the ball speed in those two games. Jordan Palmer. Says, have you guys had a chance to listen to Matty John's podcast? It's a pretty good show. It's like what Triple M Sundays used to be, like before that dickhead Maroon took over Matty's role. Also, the Sports Bet podcast isn't too bad for the punters out there. Uh, uh, I've got Matty's one there, but I haven't listened to it yet. I've listened to one or two of them. They're all right. He's got Kenny and Hoops on there. Some of the stories are, are okay, but I think a lot of the other stuff is no different than what you get in the weekly cycle. That's not knocking it, but a lot of what he talks about, he's already addressed on his show or 360. There's so many options out there. People that don't listen to us probably watch 360 or listen to Matty Johns or listen to one of those. I think all of us generally cover certain topics or go over the same kind of stuff. We have differences in opinion, but I've more enjoyed on his one some of the stories he's got. He's got some cracker stories. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Kenny and Hoops are pretty good value as well. Uh, the sports bet one I haven't really listened to for punning. For punning, I don't like to cloud my mind. I like to kind of stick with my own bets. If you get too many other people's voices in there, you can get a bit weird. Ben Fisher says, impressive young players coming through at the Sharks. Who would you sign first? Blake Braley, Bronson Sherry, or Britton Nakora? Sherry. Yeah, I think, even though I think center's not as valuable as, as what it used to be, he's certainly a difference maker. Or it'd be, be between him and Britton, that's for sure, at this point in time. And he also said that the Broncos, Haas, Katoni, or Osaka, I'd, I'd say right now, looking at the investment in Haas last year and people asking questions, a prop that can play 80 minutes, give me that any day of the week. Mm. Out of those three, I'd be taking Payne Haas. And he's 19 years old. Crazy. Scotty Lockyer says, What's more annoying, your team's repeated poor performances or their unconcerned attitude towards losing? I'd be more worried about the attitude side of things. Yeah, attitude. Omar Haydar says, Have you noticed an increase in slowing down the ruck? Yep, 100%, mate. Yes. We've gone over that one, no doubt about it. Dom Coogan, he was got here about Wayne Bennett. Does he have a point in the same thing with the game being slowed down? Yes. I think he couldn't have worded it any better and... Like you said, he wasn't looking to get fined, but as we said, players, when they're given any room, they put their foot over the line and then they'll take more rope and they'll take more rope and they're just going to keep taking unless the referees get the hammer out and you know start whacking their fingers again. So I'm happy for some penalties to creep back in as long as it gets the players to relent from taking advantage of those rucks. David Crellin says, Sliding doors. Eels look like Panthers this year. Panthers look like Eels last year. Why such a big swing from both teams? Is it fitness? Is it attitude? Is it contract years? What is it? It's all of it. 
Yeah, 100%. It's all of it. And the fact that the competition is so bloody close, mate. It is so close. They had a lot of drama there last year. They had some talk about players clashing and the board and not having enough help in the football department. That's all been sorted out. Then you've got Penrith, the off-field stuff, a couple of videos, some player unrest, a couple of guys who got contracts. I want to play here. I want to play there. The coaching situation, the board, they're basically, like you're saying, almost moved into a Parramatta-like phase last year where there's just a lot of drama. Jeff Sims says, do you guys think Gutherson would be a good origin utility? No. No, I don't like outside-back utilities on my bench. I think, again, you can get that role covered uh, as far as center wing or those spots by Peachy or other guys, and then they can play other positions. I think Gutherson's more a wing center fullback and possibly playing the halves, but, yeah, I'd probably rather a a back-row center-type utility, somebody who can cover forwards and backs. Rhett Patrick, how much involvement can the attacking team have in trying to stop their player being tackled over the sidelines or pushed back to the try line. See, lots of teams pushing or bracing their own players to keep them in the field of play. You're allowed to do that. Mm. That's just exactly that. If your player's going out and there's three guys driving him, you get behind and put yourself in that barrier and try and stop his momentum, you, you're basically just trying to get the ref to call help, really, before he gets pushed out. Different story, as we know, with the rules and trying to score a try and the act of scoring a try, you're not allowed to push other players out of the way. Yeah. You can drive your own player, though. But that's the difference. You can't get involved and pull other players out of a tackle. Uh, what do we got here? Well, Duncan Bridgeford, he's also recommended the Matty Johns podcast. Reckons it's number two after us. Much appreciated, champion. Adam Chandler, one for you, Boxhead. What is more painful, Queenslanders only or Steve Blocker Roach's commentary? Queenslanders only. There you go. Dog shit. Boom. Mike Winkley, home advantage, myth or a living, breathing thing? If so, which team is most advantaged by this over the regular season? Yeah, I think it's definitely... It well, definitely has an impact, but... No offence to the Tigers yesterday. They rolled up the Parramatta on their Facebook page and Twitter page during the week saying that's their home ground yeah, as well, I'm, but I'm all I sure. saw was yellow. I'm not sure why they did that. Oh, did you see much orange? I, I, was sitting, I was sitting in the West Tigers section, and it was half full of Parramatta fans. Well, like I said, that looked like a home ground advantage to me yesterday. Correct. It's a real living thing, my friend. And we've been to Sharp Park. That's definitely a home ground advantage. We copped a fair bit when we stand on that hill. Yeah. I think Penrith, when it's rocking, is good. Like anyone with their home ground. But I think winning. it's results. Exactly that. When winning's happening, the crowds get there. Brisbane, when they're winning, there's 50,000 at Suncorp and the place is rocking. It's There's nothing worse than being abused constantly and feeling like the, everything's against you and you can't get a break. And whether people like it or not, there is such things to, I reckon, as home team penalties. When the refs are just hearing constant noise and feeling like things are going. Uh, yeah, I think it's a real thing, Mike. Darren Cord, with the walk up and down the stairs be tough after 10 schooners at Bank West? Yes. Oof. Yes, they're quite steep. Stairs are quite steep. It, think of it this way. The depth between one seat to another in terms of a row at ANZ is one step. At Bank West, it's double the height. That's how steep the the view is so you're essentially your feet are where the person in front of you's shoulders are so yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't want to be sloppy walking down um, you also need the people who you're trying to get across so if you're in the middle of a row if you're and people have to get up to let you get to your seat they have to stand up there's no way otherwise you are going down and there's no rail there to help you and essentially the top of the other person's seat wouldn't be any higher than your shoe. So there's nothing there to really f- hold yourself on. Um, you're going down. <laughs> uh, look forward to getting drunk at Bank West sometime soon. Then. Yeah, so your best bet is to sit in the concourse. <laughs> See how I go with me wobbly knees going yeah, down. Deep. So I could blow an ACL out and do a forward tumble, you reckon? 
Yes. If I got a bit heavy, good times. Looking forward to it. Matty Timbrell, uh, he's frustrated with the night's lack of effort. I think we've gone over that line, mate. But feeling your pain, I'm sure Cousin Gary is too. Chris Hill says there is talk of dropping the interchange back to six and then to four. Are you a fan or not? I think a, decrease, a decrease to four would mean an injury or two that would have even more of a drastic no, impact on the six. game. At this point in time, with the way things have gone this year, with more ball and play, and I see more fatigue and more cramp, I think the move to six right now is enough. Four, I think, would be ridiculous. Six. Six would be the absolute limit, I think. Um, but, yeah. Tristan Berg says, New listener, apologies if covered before, but can you exactly explain? I think this is more what I was getting at you before, Brock. The rules are either the escort, a hot topic following that game, but despite the fury and post-game debate, I'm yet to see it fully explained anywhere, and there seems to be conflicting views between commentators administrators exactly what constitutes an escort. As a Dragons fan, I'm happy for the win, but I know if it was roles reverse, I'd be up in arms, even if I wasn't really. We went over it earlier. But yeah, I think I was. that's more what I was getting at what he said as well. I, I thought it was, Annesley said this rule, the others busted out. I, I don't know which one's which. I don't have the manual of rules. I don't read the updates every single year. But the way I was explained from Bill Harrigan and a couple other people to compare to he saying that was wrong, even I was left confused. It, the wording of it sounded like it was okay what he did, but I just think it's one of these things that happens way too many times each week and they're too picky and choosy. That was my frustration. Mm. I think it either needs to be penalised more or it should be open southern. We basically get NFL block, which I think is annoying as well, but it happens once. It's not the game. It's like, it not, not it the just happens too often for my life. Been played. Uh, Steve Moorcroft, if you'd have your own commentary team for TV, who would your call team of four people be? One main caller, two on the box, and one on the sideline. Who do you pick for those positions? He said he'd have Mark Levy as his main, Joey Johns for insight, and Thirsty Morrow to chip in here and there, and sideline, Brad Fittler. I love Woz and Brandy. Yeah, I like Woz and Brandy I as like a combo. I like Rabs, though. Um, I'd, I'd have Gus as my analyzer. Sideline. Uh, I'd yeah. have I, I like Darren Lockyer on the sideline. I think Darren Lockyer does a good job. Um, Vossi's a mix between people as far as their opinion's concerned, but I like Vossi. Mm. I like his enthusiasm. He's right up for the game. You know, I also do like Andy Raymond does a good job. Yeah, sideline. I think he used to do a very good job. I, don't, I know his role's been a bit more reduced with all the ex-players that they've pushed in now, but I think Andy Raymond used to do a pretty good job when he was on TV. Yeah. Uh, that's off the top of my head. I probably missed somebody there, champ, but I appreciate that. Ian Stamos, so just curious as this came in my mind over the weekend, if a first grade player gets dropped to reserve grade, does the reserve grade coach have to include that player in his team. Yeah. Don't start me on this one. This is how it works. This is a frustration. Well, it's not. Depends where you depends where you're coaching. Well, That's if, how it works. If you're in the top thirty, say at a Mounties with a Canberra relationship or these other clubs, if even if you've got somebody you absolutely love, mate, who's on the outside playing well, if Canberra send back seven forwards and you can't fit in a bloke you've got, that's the way the relationship works. But I think Brock as you said there, some clubs, that's not the way it works, and they do try to push players in and out of the way. But at a first-grade level, not in any of the other levels, it's generally, if you've got a relationship with the feeder club, their players come back, doesn't matter how they've been playing, they're your first priority to squeeze into your side. True, bro. Um, which is very frustrating at times because if you're one of those coaches, you kind of know what comes to the territory, but there could be a player or two there that you don't necessarily agree with. Switch City Committee, who would win a fight between a grizzly bear and a silverback gorilla? That's some Joe Rogan-level shit. I'd back the bear. The bear or silverback. I'm not really up to date with my Nat Geo or my David Attenborough, but I'll just go opposite of Brock for the sake of it. I'll go to silverback. Uh, Billy Barge says, thoughts on the World Nines? Oh, I love it. I think it's going to be awesome. I think it's a good idea, as long as it moves around and they don't do what they did with the Auckland, Auckland Nines. 
if it's one of these things they're going to do yearly at the same ground over and over again and pull players out of it or have people attend or the whole setup of it, I think it needs to be more of a road show and you need to get the best players to have the best product. Andrew Barry, the Broncos are 1-5. and five. Is their season over already or can they still make the finals? No, it's not over yet. Right? Also, even though their young forwards are good, did they lose too much experience in Maguire? It was a big loss. They are young uh, and like you said earlier, there's only one team in a long time that's overcome that 1-5 and five start. But I think Origin, if they're left untouched or a lot of guys that we thought might have been pushing for those honours get left behind, they might go on a bit of a streak, but who knows? I'm not going to put the pen through them yet, though. Johnny Cashman says, how come Fittler did nothing in the 03 grand final? That's very random. What was that? Well, how busted. come Brad Fittler? He had a busted shoulder. He got concussed, didn't he? Isn't no, that he when Villa bust... Sandy? No, he had a busted shoulder. 02, though. Oh, the Panthers grand final. Yeah. yeah, I barely remember that game. I was 13. Had a busted shoulder. And the last one we've already addressed... Chris Bonden bringing up uh, ruck infringements. And what are our thoughts there? But I think we've given plenty of thought to ruck infringements for, for the night, that's for sure. Now it's time to move on to our tips and any gossip we've got. I don't think there isn't anything from this week, Brock. I think everything we've basically addressed. Yeah. From what I've sent through to Mr. Gossip, there's nothing really on the slide there uh, or anything hidden. The feel-good stuff, Blake Braley, any kind of the contract news or bits and pieces that have come out, uh, yeah, basically non-existent. He hasn't sent through his tips, though, but uh, I think probably best that we address for anyone out there, uh, unfortunately, for Mr. Gossip, Papa Gossip has uh, passed away. Mm. A massive Newcastle fan, which is even more frustrating, I guess, for us on the weekend watching. I kind of thought that would have been a good omen um, for the weekend, and unfortunately put in a shit effort. But for anyone there who's listened over the, the years from when we started off, real good bloke. Um, our thoughts and prayers go out to, out to him. So if anyone wants to post any message or send something through, um, to Mr. Gossip, um, thoughts and prayers with him for the loss for him and his family at this yeah. hard time. Yeah, hard time. Um, um, but he's a legend and, um, yeah, no, he loved his dad a lot and he was pulling for Newcastle to, to win a few games and um, their form has been disappointing but they're just, yeah. it's just a game. Uh, I think the, the bigger picture is is the loss and the sadness the family he'd be uh, experiencing at the moment so um, yeah thoughts wishes prayers all that stuff um, but yeah we, we love Keithy and he's contributed as much as any to this show so I think- um, thoughts are with you mate uh, we know you listen and um, yeah you you know you've got uh, friends friends in us and I think this is the best part about rugby league for us as players as coaches and even now doing this side of things we just meet so many good people and uh Keefe's definitely one of those. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thoughts and prayers are with your champion in this difficult and, time. And with his family. He's yeah. got young children and, and a wife. And, Never a uh, good thing. N- not easy. No. Uh, best bets as we move on to these tips uh, with having nothing really cooking in the gossip side of things this week. You got your first win, Brock. You're on. Fuck. You finally got one. You got South and the Dragons, so you won from twelve. I got the Canberra's one, uh, the Raiders one to twelve. South thirteen plus was not helped out by the dogs for us. Yeah, we need to work it out by via units. So, oh, we'll, we'll, if you're working out one bet is one unit, and you work out what you return, what did what did I get for that bet? It was a two to one or something, wasn't it? Basically two to one so, flat. Yeah, I'm still I'm ten units behind basically. And I would have got about three bucks from one to twelve, and all my other winners have been that. So I've been getting about three to one for most of the ones I have. Got. How many winners you got? I got four. And basically all of them have been... So you'd be about even. So I'd be roughly. But I'm just going generally. Off the bet, so if you're going to have a crack. No, it's more about how much you get returned. Your tips have been good, though. You got six on the weekend. Mm. Gossip and myself got five. Uh, So, yeah, trying to turn things around that. But these odds, our tips and the best bets, obviously brought to you by the Pro Sports Syndicate. Keep your eyes open for that 
offer of a discount for the package this weekend. They were just above even, so not as good as last week with a 10 to 13, but on the season so far, 23 units of profit. So again, speaking in context of what Brock's saying, they bet $100 units, so they're up $2,300 on the year right now. Mm. They're having a great season so far, but if you betting unit, if you only spend 10 or $20 a week, you'd be up almost 460 bucks if you had $20 bets. But realistically, good start of the year for them. Uh, best bet, obviously not a great one. They had a couple of options that they were looking at. Uh, the one that they ended up going with is the Tigers with a one-and-a-half start. And when Ferguson pulled out, to be honest, I thought the Tigers were the real shout, but they just did not turn up yesterday. So not the best, but they had a good win the week before and look at the yearly amount. Like I said, they're ahead 24 units basically at this point in time. So get on board, take that $100 discount. You can see the link posted up on our page and the gossip page. Follow the prompts there. You get a $100 discount on what usually is 800 for the season. It's only 700 It's already a month in, so it's even less than that. Basically, the $100 means you get a month or so for free. And look out for those promo codes. NEDS is usually the one that's been up more recently. $250 sign-up, $250 uh, buck return in your back pocket. But tips for this week, Boxhead. Uh, lineups. Something almost bloody forgot to get up. How good am I going? The first game we've got. The massive game, short turnaround, uh, always a struggle, I guess, for some teams, is the Anzac Day Clash. What an absolute ripper is this. We'll be going to this game. Roosters-Dragons on the Roosters side of things. It looks like Joey Manu has come back into the side. Luke Keery, though, has been ruled out from that concussion, like we said last year during the game companion. He had some troubles with that. Had the broken jaw in a couple early on. They've got Orbison in the centres with Manu and Latrell Mitchell is going to play six. Jake Friend finally back. He starts at hooker. Radley goes back to lock. Tadavano back to the bench. And Lachlan Lamb is on the bench in place of Sam Verrill. So clearly they're getting a bit of cover there if they want to change things during the game as far as the half situation is concerned. For the Dragons, not a change for them. They're 1-17. to 17, uh, And they're, to be honest, I think this is going to be closer than what people think. It always is. It's just the occasion makes the, it the close. occasion, regardless of how they're going, just makes this game always. I'm going the Roosters, huge. but uh, yeah, I expect the Dragons to just be physical, and there'll be a lot of emotion in it, and the occasional make this game close. I'm also going to go to the Roosters, but again, I don't know what the line is for this game right now. I think the original odds that we're about to speak about are close to an eight and a half start. Uh, I think you can push your own line back on some websites and get twelve and a half at about a dollar sixty. I think I'd be taking that. Uh, my first best bet will be Roosters one to twelve in this game. So looking at this one, the odds thanks to the Pro Sports Syndicate, the Roosters are a dollar thirty eight. The Dragons three oh five, so good value there for you. The line is seven and a half, one to twelve, two ninety. The Roosters four fifty. The Dragons thirteen plus. Roosters two fifty seven dollars. The Dragons and Brock best bet number one Sydney one to twelve at two ninety. Game number two for the round, also an Anzac Day clash down there in Melbourne, is the Storm against the Warriors. As far as the Storm are concerned, there's no changes to the side that lost. Marion Seve, though, has been named on the bench. Pappenhausen goes back to the reserves for the Warriors. Blake Green returns this week. Uh, Peter Hiku is back into the centres, and Jared Beal is now in for David Fusitua, who is injured. Uh, Melbourne, in Melbourne, after a loss. Storm. This is a no-brainer for me. You tip Melbourne after a loss, and especially at home, they've got a pretty good track record, and you can't trust the Warriors at this point in time, that's for sure. The odds on this one are $1.19 of the Storm with a Pro Sports Syndicate, four seventy for the Warriors, minus uh, 13.5 the line on that one. 1-12 to 12 Storm, $3, $6 for the Warriors, 13-plus Storm, $1.85, $14 for the Warriors. 
Dogs Cowboys. Uh, a difficult one, really, when you see the effort that the Dogs have put in the last few weeks and then the Cowboys getting a win. But for the Bulldogs, Reese Martin, he's been selected to start this week, but it was the same situation last week and they did make a change and start with Elliot. So have to wait and see what happens there as I've just dropped the mouse under the floor. It's possible the pair will get switched again, so we'll have to wait and see what happens. But other than that, no changes. For the Cowboys, last week's drought buster has seen them stick with the same 17-man squad. Interestingly, though, Tamalolo, two weeks ahead of schedule, has been named in the injury uh, in the reserves. So I have to see what happens there. That's at ANZ on a Friday. I know the Dogs give a wholehearted effort, but I think the Cowboys need to win again yeah, off the back of that. So I'm going to stick Cowboys with the Cowboys. Cowboys want to play finals. It's a game they need to win. 100%. And that's the main thing, I guess, to take out of it. We consider them a finals team coming into this one. And the odds for this one, it's a pick'em game. A dollar ninety a piece, minus one the line. It goes in favour of the home side, the dogs, one to twelve for both sides, two ninety, thirteen plus for both sides for sixty. Panthers Souths in the riff on Friday night. Uh, a couple of changes here for the Panthers. No recall for Dylan Edwards, but Caleb Akins has been named at fullback with Dallin moving to the centres with a loss of uh, Dean Fare. So a couple of interesting ones there, but I don't Where really... have they moved Luai onto the bench, have they? Luai's in the reserves. So he's I not like to see him play Luai. Yeah. The Rabbitohs, they've retained the same 17-man side once again. It's got George to start to toll on the bench, but that's been happening every single week and a changeover. Penrith in Penrith, like I said, I'd, I'd like to think something's going to give, but against a quality side like South, I'm not, South. not willing to tip them, but... Yeah. Aikens, as I said before, debut game last year, 300-plus metres, outstanding effort. He's a good footballer, but I think he's got the same problem as all of them. It's developing that passing game. I've seen him play some cup. He's working on it. It's getting better, but it's not as natural as it was to a Matt Moylan or some of the other ball players in the comp. But at the end of the day, the guys I'm looking at right now, Tim Grant's in the side right now, Fisher Harris been doing a good job, but they need more out of Campbell Gillard and these guys coming off the bench. I think Liam Martin did a pretty good job last week, but Leota and a few other guys have got to step up. They've got to get more out of their forward pack. Correct, yeah. More direct play, more second phase, more push. It all starts out of the middle, which then naturally should lead to the halves wanting to get the ball. At the moment, they're too keen on laying it in one out with one of these back rowers and playing to these long side shifts, which are just premeditated block plays, which you can see come from a mile away. They need ruck speed before they try to put anything on. They need to win the middle. But they refuse to change it, I think. We'll see if something happens this week. With the Pro Sports Syndicate, the Panthers are $2.20 at home. Souths $1.66, minus 3.5 the line. 1-12 for Souths, $2.85 for the Panthers, $3.40. $13 plus for the Panthers, $6.330 for Souths. Tigers, Titans, your mob. Can they put two weeks in a row? We'll have to see. Three, mate. Be three in oh, a row. There you go. My bad. Don't, 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 us have a don't win, mate. downplay it, Brock. West Tigers, no sign of Benji, despite the fact they struggled in attack last week in that drubbing. I don't know why that's even a point being brought up here when their forward pack got well, absolutely dominated. That Robbie Farrah, Luke Garner, they've both been named despite leaving the field with concussions. So five-day turnaround. They've got to get through the protocol there. But the same 1-17 to 17, as far as the uh, Tigers are concerned at the moment. A lot of fans calling for David Nofaluma to come back in. I haven't seen them play cup, uh, but a lot of people want him back in the side. Other than that, Elijah Taylor's obviously been edged out since uh, Maguire's got the club. Does that surprise you? Or not really with the younger forward pattern they've got and the direction he's trying to move? Mm. Yeah. Well, I, they could do with a little bit of experience, I think, off the bench. Yep. Wouldn't disagree with you there. On the Titans side of things, obviously, you've lost Ryan James, that ACL. That's massive. Kevin Proctor returns. Hopefully, he gets through 
Uh, Keegan Hipgrave has been named on the bench, and Jack Stockwell is back out of the side. I want to tip the Tigers, but... Scully Park. Yeah, at uh, Tamworth. I'll tip the Tigers, but I don't know. Tipping against the Titans are working for me. Hopefully, hopefully, I'll just keep tipping against them if they keep winning. Well, travel game after a poor effort with Coach Maguire, I'm going to tip the Tigers as well. Um, they definitely need to turn things around after last week. I think James is a big loss. I think... The team did a good job to overcome it last week, but I'm still not going to trust you guys, nor can I really trust the Tigers at this point in time. But at the same time, they've been a little more consistent, I guess, although not a whole not a whole lot more. But not really. James is still a big loss for a forward pack that hasn't been really consistent so far for you guys. But uh, the odds there, $1.70 with the Pro Sports Syndicate are the Tigers. The Titans, $2.15, minus 2.5 is the line. 1 to 12, 280 for the Tigers, 335 for the Titans, 13 plus for the Tigers, 340, $6 for the Titans. Sharks versus the Broncos. Another massive game, Saturday night, Suncourt, for the Broncos. Small change, James Roberts returns to the side. Staggs goes back to the bench. Tavita Pangai is back. He's starting a lock. Tom Flagler and David Feeder on the bench, and Jaden Sewer has been dropped. For the Sharks, they've got the force change. Nakora obviously suspended for one game for that lifting tackle. They've got Sorensen starting in the back row. Bakuya gets back to the bench after being dropped for last week's game. Oh. Broncos. I'll just keep tipping them. You're just going to keep plugging away, eh? Yeah, well, they're at home. I don't know, man. Sharks, they got away with one last week. Mm. You know what worries me? I think oh. Fafita was great last week, and they said he was going to be out for two to six weeks, and then all of a sudden he played. By the end, I thought he looked like he'd slowed down a little bit. Um... Nakora is a big loss for me. I think he's been outstanding. He's been over a line break game. He's been so dangerous that edge of Sean Johnson. I'm going to follow you in here, but yeah, it's very hard to go away from the don't Sharks. Blame, don't blame me. I'm not blaming you, but I'm just trying to look at a few little things there. I'm going to go with the Broncos again, even though they've been dreadful. There's got to be a win. They haven't been dreadful. Well, they haven't been dreadful, but they haven't been winning. They haven't been up to scratch. Something's got to give. They're at home. Should be a big crowd in. Something's got to give. This week against a tough opponent, probably even feel even worse now. I've done it against the Sharks, but those few changes and a couple of guys still playing a bit busted. Yeah, it has to happen this week. And with the Pro Sports Syndicate, the Broncos are the favourite at home. A dollar sixty-three, two twenty-five for the Sharks, minus four the line. One to twelve Broncos, two eighty-five, three fifty for the Sharks. Thirteen plus Broncos, three fifteen, six twenty-five for the Sharks. Manly versus the Raiders. I would have said at the start here, this is not a game I'd expect to be one of the better games of the round, but it is. This should be a cracker. Given the way these two teams are playing, it is at Lotto Land. There's no changes for Desi Hasler. One to uh, one to seventeen after last week, and for the Raiders, the big thing is Nickel Clogstad after last week with that hyper extension when Milford basically headbutted his leg. Uh, how he gets to the week? He was in a brace, but they reckon he might be close to playing. But on the interchange bench, they've made two changes for Ricky Stewart, Emre Gula, and Jack Murchie come in for their first games of the year with JJ Collins and Hudson Young dropping out. So they're doing a bit of a rotation almost seems policy this year with the young blokes who are playing well out of cup and getting them some time off the bench mm. to play with a side that is playing well. So probably not a bad idea to build some experience for the back end of the year or moving forward. But uh, I like what Manly have done. But with Adam Fanua Blake, by the looks of it, he's been for two weeks, was it? Yep. He's still not in. And Tommy Turbo there, I think the Raiders are just as gritty. I know it's an away game, but I'm going to stick with the Raiders. Raiders... The big one for me is if Nickel Clogstad pulled out. Because I think right then they'd move Whiten probably back to fullback and find a spot for Caesar, who's been named in the extended squad. That might. How would they do that? 
well, if I was thinking Whiten's playing. If that happened, I'd feel a little less confident, to be honest. But I, I think for Still, me, it's not. A, it's pretty seamless transition for him. Yeah, well, they've had that before. But the odds in this one pretty close. Manly are uh, the outsiders at home. A dollar ninety-eight with a pro sports syndicate. A dollar eighty-two for the Raiders. Minus one and a half the line. One to twelve for Manly. Three fifteen two eighty for the Raiders. Thirteen plus five twenty-five. Manly four dollars for the Raiders. I'm pretty sure we've got the last one of the round here. It is the Newcastle Knights at home for their fifth game already out of seven this year against the Parramatta Eels. Nathan Brown has kept the faith in the same side, keeping Watson at 5'8". Lino's in the reserves. They'd be bloody hoping they turn things around this way. Looking who's in the reserves for any late changes, if there was going to be any. Mason Lino, Tau Tau Moga, Siani Matiadia and Sami Solo. Well, this is the biggest trap game you'll ever see. Parramatta flying, Newcastle, yeah. knives everywhere. But if you think I'm going to tip Newcastle, you're kidding yourself. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tip. I tipped, them, I tipped them last week. And Blake Ferguson. They played like a busted. So, look, I think Brown's pushed all in here. He's relying on his players to do something for him. I, the way they're playing at the moment, I'd... Yeah. And a real positive for the Eels, obviously, Fergo back in. He may miss again. Yeah, well, he's named, but yeah. I'm not sure he'll play. But they but still have Coming it. off that big win, the short turnaround. Hoffman still did a good job. They've got enough there. Uh, Alvaro is the only one really under a question mark with the HIA that he failed. But in the real positive side, one of their better players, I thought, for the last couple of years is back Manu Mau, who would definitely be on the bench for me if he was available. So he might be back this week. Speaking of a HIA, I think Luke Keery's in some doubt to play. I already said my... that he's out. Oh, is he out? What planet are you Jeez, leaving? Sorry. Clearly, I do talk to myself a lot yeah, of the you time here. He's did. gone, mate. Latrell's playing six. Okay. Manu, I said that. Orbison's at centre, and then they carry in no, Liam was, on the bench. Sorry, I was talking to my wife about it before, and I thought I've got to bring it up on the podcast, so, and it just twigged in. Clearly, what they're thinking with Manu, oh, sorry, carrying Liam on the bench and moving yeah, Orbison yeah, to centre, no, if they're not happy with the way that's going, they'll push him back out and put Liam in the halves. Yeah. But they've got plenty of options to be now. It's an outstanding squad that they've got. But Eels for you? Yes. Eels for myself as well. And the odds on that one, they're a dollar seventy favourite going up to Newcastle with a pro sports syndicate. Two fifteen for the Knights, minus two the line. One to twelve Newcastle, three twenty two eighty for Parramatta, thirteen plus for the Knights is five seventy five three seventy for the Eels. So we'll get gossips tips later on, but as far as us this week, there's gonna be no different. We've got a clean sweep. Okay. The best bets, you've given me one. Oh you've got the Roosters one to twelve. Yes, okay. Let me have a squeeze. Even I'm not confident in anything I'm looking at right now. There's there's so many games here. I'm looking at it going, oh, 1 to 12 or this, but I think they could get much worse. Mm. I liked the start originally for the Dragons, but I don't know. You can pick your own line, I'm pretty sure. In the Dragons, yeah, yeah, you can. I'm going to pick my own line because I saw it earlier on and I got the odds for it. It's probably It's only a point difference now. But I had the Dragons with 12 and a half start, and it was about a dollar sixty. So I'm assuming now it'd probably be about a dollar fifty-five if it's dropped five cents. So I'm going to take the Dragons with my own custom start. I'm going to go Broncos one to twelve, and I'm going to take that into the Cowboys just to win head to head. So dollar fifty-five, dollar ninety. What's that? About two fifty. Something like that. And what was your other one? Sorry. Broncos one to twelve, mate. Okay. Brock's got the Broncos 1-12 at 2 I'm just going to keep tipping them. They'll eventually win, guys. Just stick strong. <laughs> Brock, just double your bet every week and you'll be right. Brock's just going to keep plugging away with the same bet over and over again. And eventually it's going to pay off. Well, you know that's a foolproof way to win a win of money. If you've got un- unlimited amount 
You can just keep betting and betting and betting and betting and betting. Yeah. And the other one I'm going to take... Just double on your bet. I'm going to take the Eels minus two. I may need a bloody loan. Actually, I'm going to... How much will they... Uh, no, actually, they won't change that much, will it? Bugger that with a line. Eels straight head to head as well. At a dollar seventy. Yeah. And then I'm going to take that into the Raiders one to twelve. Jesus. At two eighty. So I don't know what that is. That's about four bucks, I think. More. What dollar seventy into two eighty? Mm. Oh, there you go. I'm not a mathematician. Whatever that works out to be, I'll get the calculator right now. So one seventy on the computer calculator times two eighty. 470. So there you go. There's the bets for the week. Brock's got the Roosters 1 to 12 and the Broncos 1 to 12. I've gone two multis. The Dragons with 12 and a half start at $1.55 into the Cows just to win straight up at $1.90, which is about 250 And the Eels straight up at $1.70 into Canberra 1 to 12 against Manly 470. Well, that wraps us up for another week here on the show. An absolute monster. Went a bit over time with our set of six, but nothing wrong with a bit of healthy debate in this one. 240. Wow. I'm not sure if Lila wants that. Lila, the baby, she's in the room. Lila, have you got anything you'd like to say? Would you like to add anything to the show tonight? Have you got anything for the listeners, Lila? Any screams? Lila. No, she's got nothing. No, she's gone silent. She's gone, Jesus, that stinks in here. You yell plenty from the background, but you know, then we get you in front of a microphone. And you've locked up. I like it when she yells that. But everybody out there, from ours to yours, as we said, we hope you enjoyed your long weekend this week. Get out, get to an Anzac Day, get to a dawn service, pay your respects, uh, as we all should, to those who served to have us in the position that we're in today to live the lives that we do live. And most importantly, enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. Bring it on. Give us more. Give us more. Where are you going? Where, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.